The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Welcome to Bullshit on a Bench. <laughs> Rebranding. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Bullshit on a Bench. We are the wine makers. Formerly known as the, the Winemakers wine- Pod. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe always known as Bullshit on a Bench. <laughs> right. Occasionally. Maybe, occasionally. Maybe that's what we're known as, is Bullshit on a Bench. Brian Casey, Bart Hanson, Sam Katori, and our guest this morning, Glenn Proctor from Chiati. Oh, and, and and he got it wrong. He got it wrong. It's Chiati. 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 It should roll right you know off what? your tongue. See? And I was talking about Cafe Chiti. So what we, here's that. what we so can no do. C I A T T I. So Perfect. we can practice spelling Ciati. too, and that helps. Yes. Can I do that phonetically? Do you remember Piati? Yeah, I do right there where Piotti. the Eldorado Kitchen is now. Yeah, yeah. We used to go there. I had all a the few time. long nights there. Yeah, so nice. sitting at the, I was definitely not twenty-one. Sitting at the bar with my mom, saw Barry Bonds' five hundredth home run. Sitting oh, in Piotti. there, you go. Nice. Not a big Barry Bonds fan here, just so we're clear. Okay. So. <laughs> well, good, good morning, Glenn. Not Let's get we, juiced up. Not if we want to go there, wait, but wait, uh, wait a minute. So, like Noah, Noah's never. Dude, I, I look at my heroes and people that I look up to have some sense of responsibility and comporting themselves in a way that I want to look up to or I want my kids to look up to. So somebody that cheats but then lies about it and still hasn't come clean and then actually throws other people under the bus to maintain his cleanliness become problematic to me. So if we also talk about uh, Lance somebody, that becomes problematic <laughs> for me too. Not that I'm better than now, but just to get it out. I mean, yeah. he did finally owe up to it after. After he buried two other people, right? I mean, through, just say, you know, lying. Speaking of which, Cheryl Crow is at Bottle Rock this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we've started a discussion. Why did Cheryl Crow and Barry Bonds, were they ever linked? No, Lance Armstrong. <laughs> Daryl Strawberry. Daryl Strawberry. I can leave now too if you want. No, so. no, yeah. we're all good. As long as you're not a Dodgers fan, it's all good. He's <laughs> <laughs> wearing green. He might be a fan of the Las Vegas Athletics. I'm, uh, and I'm too soon? I, I was a, I was an athletic fan. That's my team. But I think I've, uh, yeah. I was a Raider fan too. And after they leave a couple times, you get tired of it. So. So Glenn and I were up in Reno this weekend yep. for this. The it had to be the world's largest basketball tournament. It, it was unbelievable. The convention center was open. All the doors were open. And everywhere you looked, there were basketball courts. That's so amazing. It, 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 it was just amazing. That's the convention center. It's like the Reno Sparks down by, yes. down by yeah. the Pepper Mill. Yeah. 48. 48 courts. different courts. 48 courts. All playing at one point. You're at talking, one time. Talking 10 players on the court at a time. Times 48. That's... 480 basketball players Probably. And then plus the rest of the team three times as many with the family right and then that flips every hour the courts flip to another team 
crazy. And you get two games a day, it seemed. So just start doing the math, well, whoever's out there. As we know, world. I went to the University of Nevada, Reno, so I can't do that math. <laughs> so so well, who's refing all these? Because there's a problem getting refs, but I mean, something that size. We, like, we had a problematic ref, we, without a we, doubt. There was a couple of problems, but they, I think they had some local. And actually, we were sitting with one of the groups that we – Thought did a pretty good job, but they were out of Oakland. So I think it's like refs for hire because it's yeah. – I just had a discussion with one of my partners on the way in. It's like finding officials, whether it's yeah. baseball or basketball, is getting harder and and probably parents and – Right, uh, well, because parents are so easy on those guys. Yeah, I, they want to keep doing it, right? Yeah, I, I think that – yeah, there's a, a whole bunch of discussions <laughs> there we could go into. Right. But Reno, Reno was a good – it was fun. Yeah. It, was a, it was a good time, and the kids had a good time. So. And, and Reno is like – I've imagined that most people that come to Reno never get off of either the old strip or the more new, modern, right. larger strip, right? I mean, there's beautiful neighborhoods and along the the river going. Uh, yeah, the whole river west is just gorgeous. I have to get you know Bart would had his bike. He's out uh, pedaling around and kind of touring. Right. Did uh, you get off the trail? Off? Did you go on trails or you just kind of around town? No, I was just I was just on. On the road, right. I went out towards Sparks and then ended out on some parkway, which brought me. I kind of did a big circle around. The, it. I got out the McCarran. McCarran, yeah, the McCarran goes all. That would be something you did in college. Or Veterans Park, Veterans Parkway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you're out way there. out there. Yeah. Okay. So of course, while he was biking, I was taking care of his kid uh, <laughs> and, and, and dropped him with mine and some others at the mall, so Bart could do his right. uh, excursion. So. And so, therefore, I felt I needed to ask Glenn to be on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> as, was this, is, are you saying as a benefit or as, as a quid, penalty? Quid pro quo. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, so, anyway, uh, Sam, uh, we drove by your alma mater and, um, yeah, everything looks it, good there. Lo- well, the last time I was there, it looks nothing like it was when I was there 15, 20 years ago or whatever. I mean, they've built so much new, you know, it's like new dorms, new classrooms, all these, you know, there was like funky old houses that have been torn down and they built these big apartments. And, you know, I think the student population has like probably doubled. It's 20,000. So I think it was in the low teens when I was there. So it's it's definitely growing fast. Reno's growing fast. I mean, just looking at that, it's... uh, yeah. And, and and some redevelopment downtown. I mean, yeah. where the, where we stayed was right across from the ballpark, which oh, yeah. seems to be fairly ballpark new. Is, the ballpark is – the ballpark opened right before I left. Mm. So that had been like 2007, yeah. 8, something like that. Yeah. yeah. We used to go there all the time. Yeah, cool. Good, good times. Cool. Good. There's some like – there's like real food happening now, yeah. some wine shops, yeah. and, um, you know, it's definitely a whole – different place well and it's known as a you know a, an up-and-coming city for people want to live places where there's a lot of outdoors right totally. right which it's totally there right. so. mountain biking skiing hiking the river yeah. fishing yeah. kayak whatever yeah. Yeah. the whole kayak park downtown i don't know if you saw that whole like yeah, yeah. it was like you know it's it's a it's a place it's a cool place so um glenn welcome to the show uh thank you for inviting me yeah in <laughs> some seriousness i will say that head. yeah uh, so Glenn and I met a long time ago, um, probably before I worked at Benziger, or maybe just when I started working at Benziger. Glenn was an old Glen Ellen employee, um, and but you grew up in Healdsburg, right? Yep. Went to Healdsburg High School. Yep. Class of uh, 1981. 
81. Okay. Um, and then, um, and, but your family had the vineyard. Yeah. So we've had, you, you, uh, we've Let, had let's start. We're, we're going to start yeah. with Puccioni um, first and then we'll get around. Uh, to whatever we do is, is all good. Uh, yeah. I just try to stay busy. So, uh, yeah, so the family, my great-grandfather came over from a little town called Coselli. So it's just south of Lucca in uh, 1889. So he came out here. Uh, you know, there's a good chance that anybody in Sonoma and Mendocino that has an I at the end of their name, I'm related to. Well, so I'm it's sitting uh, next to you. So, it, yeah, we probably, <laughs> let's, you know. And my, gran- my great-grandfather came from a little town outside of Luca. I don't know exactly where called Farniente, Farniente, something like that, um, where there's like a page of Katuris in the phone. Book. Oh, yeah. You, what you do is you go to the because uh, we've been back five times. So we actually stay in touch with our cousins now in Luca. But you go to the cemetery and you start looking around at last names. It's kind of how you figure it out. Uh, so he came over uh, 1889. Um, and I think he came over. Uh, did he? get a wife when he came over he knew his wife and it's kind of interesting how that all gets set up and then they bought uh in 1904 uh he along with uh his brother-in-law uh bought about 200 acres in dry creek valley now we're in the better part of dry creek valley if i may say but since i was the president of the Wait, Tri- do you really feel that way no nah, you know i was a president of dry creek valley growers and vintners so i've got to say it's all good in dry creek valley and i know i'm in sonoma valley so i've got to be careful but we're kind of three and a half miles due west on the southern edge of of dry creek valley a lot of uh uh uh, redwood trees uh so like due west sit. of downtown healdsburg yes yeah. due yeah. west of downtown you know john holly yeah no john well i knew john, john holly at, at Clos de bois okay yeah because i actually you know go back not you want to know Glenn my history knows more people than the sliced bread put together. so no but i ended up so between my um uh I, so I, I went to hillsburg high then i went to fresno and i got a degree there we learned how to make wine yeah well it's now, yeah then then i went learned, to you went to then I went to Davis and I got a master's there. But Fresno was for it was viticulture enology. I took okay. all the enology classes okay. I could, and then of course Carnio. I remember going to his classes at Davis, and and then he'd make fun of the poor Fresno people. So we we had fun because the Fresno people would make fun of the uh, the Davis people. We had a da- we had a Fresno wing at UC Davis. Myself and Nick Dacuzlian. And uh, so we, you know, talked about Fresno State athletics just so they understood. But I, between there, I actually worked at Clos de Bois for uh, internship over a summer. So that's John Hawley and 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 some of that group had contact with. So and, yeah. and was that a seller job? No, that was a vineyard job. That was um, vineyard out in Alexander Valley. I think there was like 400 acres. So I was out. Uh, digging holes taking cluster weights uh kind of doing all that stuff and then i had worked at fieldstone winery for a time another internship where i'm driving tractors and this a, a great store i mean if you guys tell me you keep me on track but we're sitting there frank tusher why start now old guys doing this he's just a great guy and i think it was my first day on the job i'm used to driving like our old john deere and uh, so he's got me on this big tractor with the disc and the roller behind it and so you really have to swing around to make the turns to get all these rows and you know at the end of the day i think i'd taken two end posts and a uh, <laughs> mine down right i mean it's it's kind of expected a little bit there's a learning and 
he came up with the the vineyard foreman and he's like you know he, he goes he goes to Juan. he goes you know did you tell glenn what's going to happen he goes no he goes uh yeah so it's like 60 dollars a vine and sixty dollars an end post, and, I, and I'm thinking I, I'm making like two eighty five an hour. That's like a month. So I yeah, I've got to work here a long time just to break even. But it, a good lesson uh, in terms of learning. But so we, our wait a minute, our, did they actually take it out or were they just no? Nah, he was he was he was okay. jacking, which yeah. is yeah, he was. You, you want you, actually you need somebody to do something, uh, so you, right. be, yeah, you would you would <laughs> he was be making tough. you drive tractor better, yeah. right? pay more attention. But, uh, so you know, so our family uh, a long time in Hillsburg, 1904, uh, first planted. I think I gave you guys some stuff. So the 1911 history of Sonoma County, we're kind of recognized as one of the original uh, Italian families in that area. Um, so they had about by 1911, they had 40 acres of grapes. So we still got some of the same vineyards that were planted in 1904. And you were telling us what was the cost of the 200 acres back then? Yeah, it was 10,000 gold pieces, but the way it worked was it's, it's, so they, they paid it. I think they made a down payment and then to, uh, Norton land company, which at one time owned a lot of that property in there. Cause that's part of the Sodioma land grant and then right. it got moved from there to different parcels so our understanding is they've kind of let the italian family you know they cleared everything um planted everything and then at some point they say now we you we, we are demanding our payment today so the story was the they had some relatives in san francisco that were fairly well connected so my grand my great grandfather was able to go get the cash because otherwise the he would have they would have put him in default and he would have lost the property. So a little bit, you could argue they're trying to take advantage, you know, let the, the Italian immigrant Do clean the it up. And yeah. then at, at the same time, guess what? We need all wow. your money. So we were able to, to keep it, but that's, that was, it was 10,000 gold pieces at that time, uh, which actually is a lot of money. I mean, today we still have 200 acres. So 5,000 gold pieces. Yeah. <laughs> somewhere. And somewhere uh, buried out there. Yeah. But we have about 200 acres, about 130 is redwood trees. Uh, uh, we've got about 25 acres of vineyards. It's a pretty unique property in terms of we, we, we love it. Um, and our goal is we had it 100 years, and then the family got together and goes, how do we keep it the next 100 years? So we put a business plan together around that. Uh, we'll see what people do You know, when I'm no longer here and others are no longer here, but the goal is to, uh, uh, to, to keep it. Uh, it is challenging in, in environments because, you know, it's – the neighbors have moved in or all have a few more bucks than us and built yeah. big houses and it's it's what you deal with but but uh but in 04 what how how much of that was planted to grapes and how much was like nothing or nothing was great well, see, in 04 a lot of that I mean, 1904 just yeah, 1904 yeah, yeah yeah but but you go back what they did and there's some good history of uh when you look at some assimilation of the italian communities within sonoma county uh, and I think she was at St. Mary's. Uh, she, I talked to her, but they did, you know, what they did is they bought that property. They were offered property in Dry Creek Valley proper, right? But the thing with that property offered was you could make charcoal. So they could take and burn out the trees. They'd make charcoal, and they sold that into the local charcoal market. So people would buy charcoal to cook or to keep warm. And so mm. it was a cash flow. So then they could huh. clean the property, sell the charcoal, and then they would could plant. So they did have grapes. A lot of it was grapes at that point. Um, some vegetables, uh, some other crops. So there was some diversity. 
Uh, we did have prunes on that property. Now, I think those were put in closer to the 40s, and we still have a dehydrator on the property. Uh, most of the prunes got pulled out by the 1970s. Okay, so two things for our listeners. Kind of lay out where it is in Dry Creek, because you guys are in a unique spot. Um, and the reason why there were so many redwoods there is because you're in an area that lends itself to getting fog you're close to the coast um you know there are parts of dry creek where the redwoods weren't quite as um yeah yeah and we're we're basically we go from 400 feet up to 1100 feet in terms of and we're kind of in a bowl in the center so what we we can be warmer during the day and so from west side road we um, are you go up mill creek so you you just go if you know where mill creek vineyards is right. right after that you take a right you go back about three miles right uh, and then we're on Pachoni Road. So we have our, you know, we've been there long enough. You get your own road named after you, I guess is how it works. I have no idea. So we're at the end of that. But we, it does get warm. But then we, depending on our facing of our slope, you know, we do like the Petite Syrah that we maybe we'll taste. It's really kind of has east facing slope. So we get early morning sun, warm during the day. But because of the mountain on the west side, we kind of lose that, you right. know, so it's a little slower right. ripening. Yeah. While some of the Zin that's uh, more westerly facing, so we get some different levels of ripeness uh, or timing because of where they sit. And what was planted in 04? What was planted there? Zinfandel. All but, Zinfandel. But it was Zinfandel, but you still see a lot of what was done was a Zin, Alicante, Petite Syrah, um, Mission. You know, you kind of had a, 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 a a Dago Red kind of mix that was sitting there. Yeah. Uh, and they made, you know, some great wines, right? Because you go back, you know, you could argue is it varietal wines better than blended wines? It's a whole other topic and discussion. Um, but that's what they had. So if you look back at that, the stuff we have from the original planting. And at that time, where did you get material to plant a vineyard? Well, a lot of this you went probably to somebody you knew, and then you propagated it yourself. So everything we would do, my grandfather would do. You know, he had a sand area, and we'd take St. George rootstock, which you know, anybody can root. It's a great stock for that. And I remember he'd put it out there. Then he'd graft everything himself, get budwood wow. at, at, you know, from neighbors, uh, and then plant it that way. Um, wow. You know, that's why, like, we had some uh, – um, Napa Gamay there, Val de Gue, whatever you call it these days. And, you know, I kept arguing with him because after I went to school a little bit and I'm saying, hey, you know, we have leaf roll. And he goes, what do you mean we have leaf roll? Everybody's Val de Gue or Napa Gamay looks like this because it was all the budwoods you had in. It all had the same virus. It all looked the same. And, you know, but damn stuff could go through three rains and not rot. And, you know, it hadn't tonnage. So it's a reason it was there. Uh, But one, I mean, I, I really look at it as when I was a kid, I worked there every uh, every weekend I was there, uh, and we worked and it was just the most fun, uh, I've ever had. And, uh, it, it just, you know, I want to kind of maintain that for my kids, but it was, uh, it was a great upbringing, but it was, he had really had, my grandfather had experience, uh, you know, he had been doing it so long. So he'd sit there and look at the nap again, man goes, okay, it rained, but now it's going to get right. You know, and I would go back to like, talk to Ken Fugel saying at Fresno and you start to feel, oh yeah, that's why from a scientific but right. but he had that knowledge right. but the, the most fun we had i think i was i don't know where i was but i came back and you know oh you think you know someone he's tough i mean you know, he had to do things the right way and uh he's like well what variety of this is you know so much so i'm looking at it and it was not you know it wasn't there's was no cut it was before um 
uh, any abrasion or anything like that. So I'm like, you know, I go through, well, is it Zinn? Is it Alicante? Is it Batide? Is it, and then, you know, is it, I start, and I name, I must have named 40 varieties, right? Uh, and he, and he, and I said, uh, he goes, no, nope, we got it wrong. I said, how did I get it wrong? He goes, you, it's Petisera. I said, no, I said Petite Syrah. He goes, it's not Petite Syrah. <laughs> it's Petisera. Uh, the other story we had with him is we'd be pruning with his uh, friends and I'd be sitting there pruning and his, he, they would say, be nice to Glenn, you know, cause he was, he would watch every cut, you know, am I making it? So it's cutting right. So I'm not bleeding on the butt. I mean, he was, it, it was a perfectionist, which is to some degree. I've micromanager. I've, yeah. yeah. So, but that's kind of the history. We, so there we had, uh, Sam doesn't prune either. Yeah. Glenn. Yeah. Uh, we, <laughs> For the same reason. <laughs> oh no, it's, I get I it. A, I had a overseer and I'm uh, watching every cut and I'm trying uh, to be a little better with my kids. You know, it's like, I want them to appreciate it, but not to, to scare them away. We'll see how that all works. But we had a winery there from 1918 to 1934. So it was during Prohibition. Uh, I was actually interested. I was able to go get all the records. Uh, so we were investigated twice. We did have where some of the wine kept getting lost. It would go over the hill to what they called the chemist and would be distilled and then sold out that way. Uh, and then after Prohibition, actually for three years, they had the winery in place and then they uh, they they uh, ended up closing it down at that point. So well, that's one of the like sort of forgotten pieces of prohibition in in California is a lot of vineyards and wineries worked through prohibition, making yep. sacramental wine and you know medical doctors orders kind yep. of thing. And then when prohibition ended and there was legal booze again, that was that's when a lot of the vineyards got pulled out and right. wineries closed because all of a sudden they didn't have the market anymore, right? Yeah, no, I think they just didn't at that point. And and you can I've got some pictures of what the winery looked like, you know, because I went back and got those records. But I think they had to put money into it, and if and they were looking at that, going, it probably didn't make sense at that point. So we started making the wine again in two thousand and three. So that was kind of one of my uh, goals. Okay, Sam. so but so who? So when they they shut the winery and they had to start selling it. Who did they sell it to? Like home winemakers? Did they contract with a with a winery at the time, um, or historically, who have you guys sold to? Yeah, you know, and some of that's before my time. Now, when you come to nineteen thirties, and right. I know, I know for a number of years, you know, with prohibition, they sold to local home winemakers, right? Because you can make your two hundred gallons. And I still remember as a kid, we're, we, and we still have this forty six Dodge one and a half ton flatbed truck. And uh, we're driving it in the city. I think we're getting uh, beans and alfalfa pellets for the sheep. And and I'm with my grandfather. And I'm like, he knew exactly where to go in San Francisco. I'm going, this guy never gets out. How the hell does he know where to go? So I started asking him questions. He goes, oh, we used to deliver grapes. So they would pick them one day. Mm. And then they would drive into the city, deliver, right? And then they'd come back picked the next you know it was kind of like that so he wow. had supposedly like was it john <laughs> campanelli that was a uh, running back for ucla i mean they sold it to their family yeah. locally for cool. for years so he had those clients That's that did awesome. that but then you know historically they we sold a lot of fruit to gallo to sagatio over the years and and i mean we sold it to everybody at yeah. some point but uh, but that was kind of the play you uh yeah, it's a yeah, product. Awesome. You got to make it work. Right. So yeah. Yeah, Sam. I don't see much sacramental wine being made. Actually, how much do they actually consume in church? Uh, you know, 
there's some that's consumed during the rituals, and then there's some that's consumed before and after, I would imagine. He's I mean, braver was, than me, braver than me. That so. was, uh, you know, my my great-grandparents were getting grapes from the Italian-Swiss colony uh, in, you know, in Asti, so basically just north, you know, up 101 from where these guys are, yep. and doing the same thing, you know, you, 200 gallons... Uh, per person per household right i mean you find as many ways around a, those rules as, as possible yeah and, and that's how you know uh, these these family legacies of you know winemaking and and grape growing that went back to italy carried on through prohibition and post-prohibition was you know these home winemaking and and you know getting grapes up in the north end of sonoma county and putting them on trucks and Delivering yeah, and, them all over San Francisco. And, and my great grandfather worked at Italian Swiss Colony in the in the early days. So, yeah. uh, uh, yeah. our, my great grandmother uh, immigrated as an indentured servant to the Italian Swiss Colony. We might be related again. We we're probably gonna have to go back. We do history. a little twenty three and well, Me or something well, here. Well, no, I'm seven percent Zinfandel, so yeah, we're no, definitely no, no, related. No, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm probably five percent. No, but it is interesting. So you people go, your name is Proctor, right? And I go, well, it's it's uh, Pacioni, Gilarducci, Rossetti, and Proctor. So you had Gilarducci too. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I, I uh, so I've got a lot of relatives in the Mendocino side. Yeah, so totally. we, we keep it all uh, all good. So, <laughs> so Glenn, um, earlier we were discussing your wine label a little bit, and Brian and John were a little concerned. <laughs> But I want to I want to let you set the um, the record straight. Um, this all has to do with the way your grandfather and great grandfather farmed. Um, so if you could, well, we uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a kick ass label. An extreme danger to horses. Well, the interesting I got to say my partners in the the Ciotti company were I also worked. They 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 make fun of it and call it the Asino label, but uh, it's not a, it's a mule. So what we did, you know, we were one of the last families to use mules commercially so my grandfather exclusively used a mule until 1968 wow um and somewhere on one of those pictures i had you'll see a picture of me in the mid 60s behind the mule with my grandfather yeah so we still have that you know they still have the plow uh prince the last mule passed away in 68 my uncle prince prince in my last my uncle was always i tell that story i did it at zap one year and he's like people are gonna think we killed the mule we overworked it i go no i mean at some point the mule passed away and then we actually you know grandfather started using a tractor but the story is he still felt the plow was better than the disc in terms of the quality in terms of growing Hmm. And uh, so for a while there, and I was probably, you know, 10 years old, nine years old. There was no labor laws at that point. And so I'd be, have the old uh, Johnny Pop, John Deere crawler, you know, one of the MCs. And he'd put me, in, you know, I'd have it. I'd go down the road. It's just got the two clutches, right? So it's pretty easy. Uh, and then he had the plow. I, so <laughs> I was almost a mule. So he put the plow, single plow behind the tractor we go to the end of the row. It's on the flatter part because it's pretty steep, so it wasn't. On the, and then basically he'd run over and help me turn it. But you know he still that he was stubborn, you know, like the <laughs> like the the mule. But the story. So that's why. I mean, we used a mule until uh, that point. So that's kind of what we came up with. But the the you know we just changed labels. We can talk about that. But the old day we had this, you know, kicking mule. Part of it was so you can see Pachoni with two C's in pronunciation. Um, and then, but we've had people, it's a jackass. Is it a horse? Is it a, 
cow. I don't know. So we. Uh, oh, Brian was concerned he was falling over. Yeah. <laughs> and so we've kind of taken it off. And the other thing that's interesting, you know, the wine business is so much about uh, perception and what's what people think and what they think now. And I, I, I sometimes it, it, it tires me, but we're trying to stay true to who we are. Uh, but we had, it's a critter label, right? And I said, right. no, but that was all, but see the critter label stuff was all about trying to capture something at the time. No, we've been doing this thing over 120 years. It's a little different. No, it, and it's, was, it's not a critter but, label, but, but some but, of the distributors right. and, and retail accounts, that was their criticism. Right. So it was just interesting. Yeah. What's so. his name? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, was, I'm, yeah. I, I, I clean the fifth. Yeah. So we're opening up. We got the 2017. Oh, I poured 18. You, sorry, 2018 Zinfandel. Um, yeah, Zin, Zin. yeah. And so this is field blend, Glenn. So um, as you guys have gone through and replanted, have you always replanted with Zin, um, yeah, or have you tried to mix it up a little bit? It's it's become mostly Zin. So what we do here is the the old block that we have, uh, most of the replay. Because it's interesting when we go back 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when I started farming it, it was a lot of Napa Gamay mixed into the Zin, right? Because at that point, and it was true of a lot of vineyards in the area. Because guess why? You're you're selling it to a probably a larger producer at the time. You know, you go back 30 years ago, and Napa Gamay had got tonnage. Yeah. So, so what we first thing we did is we cut all those out (laughs) and and put back in Zin. So it's got a little Alicante. It's got a little petite Syrah in that. And then also what we did is we planted, uh, we blended with about 15% petite Syrah and a block that we planted called wild bull because it's where the two, the bulls would fight. We, we had cows. Uh, so we liked the petite adds a little body to it, middle to it. Uh, and historically, that's you know kind of the way it was done, uh, but we tend to ferment separately and then uh, and blend in. I mean, the one thing what we did is some of the field blending. Like I then planted Alicante separately when we did the replanting in the early 2000s, and Petite Syrah just so we could farm it uniquely in terms wow. of thinning. So we still have the components. I can still, you know, uh, co-ferment or I can blend after. I- but, but it's a little more control. The, the modern field blend. Yeah. But it's yeah. but I think we try to do, I go back, we try to do what was done. I, I really think we, sometimes we think we're smarter than we are. Oh my God, I found this out and I know what I'm doing. And you know what? I, I look at what my grandfather did and and they were pretty damn smart. I mean, these people, you know, they knew what they were doing. So we try to honor what was done and then try to maybe add to it with what we know. But I think we need to be careful because it's like going out with um, um, the Raffinellis who were uh, friends and we're sitting there with Dave and I think America was still around and, you know, he's sitting there and taking laterals off and doing some leaf pulling, you know, and, and, and oh, we've been doing it this way for 30 years and this is in the 70s, right, or 80s. And I, you know, then when I'm at Davis, I'm doing a leaf pulling research, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, it, some of the stuff's been done. So well, I always think about these, um, you know, those original planting field blend vineyards that are Zinfandel Plus. Yeah. And, you know, the varieties they had out there, A, you know, you were boosting tonnage. Right. But it was also, you know, you bring the Petite Syrah oh, yeah. for mid palate and, and, you know, maybe Grenache or something for some juiciness and, and kind of balance out what Zinfandel brings you 
with just the field blend as opposed to what we do now with like modern winemaking techniques right. and, you know, acid additions and water adds and whatever you can do in the, in the winery. Basically, they were doing in the field, right? Well, well so. yeah, you look at like even if you had the Napa Gamay with acid or even, right. uh, you know, Alicante with color, exactly. especially in a co-fermented especially situation. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you take Alicante, and I have a guy that actually buys our Alicante, does it 100%, and his color looks pretty good. But usually when you do that without co-fermentation, it, it, you know, you get a lot of fallout in terms of some of the mm. color and intensity. Hmm. So I, I think that, uh, you know, again, my, my history is I was a kid – I'm three or four years old. It's probably, you know, you can relate. It's like I'm sitting there. We're at a table. We always had wine with food. We had wine with family. You know, my grandfather had a two-gallon jug or three-gallon jug next there. I had a glass of water that was half water. And then he goes, okay, I'm going to make your Kool-Aid. And then, you know, so I've got this water wine 50-50. But it was always, we never like, oh, my God, we're getting, you know, drinking to excess. It was really about the celebration, yeah. the people, yeah. the honoring of what was done. Totally. So again, we're trying to make a wine that, you know, that, that in some way represents who and what we are, but complements food. Right. Uh, and and that's why I love Zinfandel so much. I just think you can Zinfandel just a great food wine. I I have found that discussion happening more and more recently, where people used to just say, "Oh, Zinfandel would like barbecue or something," but I think. I've heard more and more people talk recently about Zinfandel being on on wine lists at nicer restaurants and actually being um, a great um, food wine with a, a wide array of different foods that are on the menu. And, and I don't see why it's never been in that conversation. I, like I, it, I mean, I truly believe that there was a time period where Zinfandel went a little too far. It did. You know, and, and the growth of the, the – and I'm going to throw Lodi out there, and I mean this – I don't mean this disrespectfully, but there's a whole bunch of acres and a whole bunch of tons. And so therefore a whole bunch of gallons that was just overripe pop soda, you know, um, and that kind of took away from Zinfandel shine in the first place. Yeah. And I think we all, I mean, if, if, if I may go ahead, I, I mean, I think, you know, we, we went through a period here where Zin became an overripe, over extracted style. So you didn't have the acid, and then all of a sudden you're sitting there with the alcohol, and it really became, you know, it, it, and that was, you know, some wine writers like that. And again, I think that veered it off a little bit. Mm-hmm. You had the whole white Zen thing that then confused consumers about what are we trying to make. Still to this day. Well, we had, but white Zen's lost. I mean, it's it, but it's still around. No, but you can no, get people in the tasting room. We had people like, in this weekend uh, that had uh, never had a Zinfandel. That was when red. I poured it, they said, oh, it's red. We've never had a red Zinfandel before. We've only had white Zinfandel. Well, and I, but I think part of, I mean, this is, I'll tell you this story. I, you know, I think with wine, we make it too hard. I think if people enjoy it, that's good. I mean, I remember we were at uh, a wedding and, or somebody I was a best man at some wedding because they, they thought I could talk. And uh, I think hopefully I didn't embarrass them too bad. But um, so somebody goes, hey, you know, I, I sent somebody in the wedding party some wine. Right. And I called him. I said, hey, you know, I'm at Glen Ellen at the time. If you want to talk about my history there. And and I sent him, a, you know, they go, what do you like? Goes, well, you know, I really like White Zen. And I'm like the way they said it, I'm like, you don't need right. to be embarrassed that you like White Zen. That's great that you like wine. You know, we make a we have a white wine. We can send you some. It, it was just. You know, because there is people kind of try it and they move and pe- we intimidate yeah. people too much with wine. We did a um, 
Josh Weston. This was in Glen Ellen. Uh, red wine. What did we do? Uh, wine without an attitude. We wrote a book that had you know at Glen Ellen. Then we took it on the road, and it was all about like your burger. What do you like on your burger? It's like it's what do you like with your wine? Don't be so intimidated. Get what you like, yeah. and then go from there as you experiment. But, and shout out White Zinfandel. Yeah, vineyards like you stayed know in, yours stayed in place. Are, yeah. exist because of White Zinfandel. Well, and as you look at that White Zinfandel, a lot of that was coming from the North Coast. You look at like Mendocino County. Totally. You look at Sonoma County. Those vineyards are still here. It's an excellent yeah. point. Yeah. They made it through because you add a few more tons. You don't make as much, but you can keep them going. Yeah. So. Uh, but no, I, I, again, I'm biased to Zinn. Um, I just think it's a great wine. And this is a great uh, one, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. this is great. Delicious. Totally. Yeah. This is, is drinking better than the one we had the other day. Tastes yeah. delicious. Yeah. 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 So Glenn, you know, maybe there's a good, good chance to talk a little bit about, um, your, your position at Glen Ellen. Cause you were there kind of early on, just certainly during the big growth period. Correct. Mm-hmm. I started there. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, Bart, just explain Glen Ellen Winery because a lot of like we grew up here. We would see it in like the drugstore and in, you know, little, sitting on the little sh- bottles two, on no, the airplane. No, That's I, what mean, I remember. Yeah, no, I, I go, I'll go there. All 750s, two for seven. I, but, I, but let it, Glenn talk it, about I, it. I, yeah. You know, but damn right, because it was consumed by a lot of people. It, yeah. you know, it was a great success story. So I started in 87. So I think we were 100, 150,000 cases doing everything up at Glen Ellen. Okay, um, remember that. Okay. 87, they were 100, 150,000. Yeah, I mean, cases. maybe it was two. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of Bruno stories, Mike stories, Bruce Rector. St- I mean, I probably Bruce can't Rector. say them. Yeah. Uh, but Joey stories, there's the whole bunch there. And maybe, maybe we don't want to go there. Four. Uh, 100 150,000 <laughs> cases of wine and 150 cases of tequila a year. Yeah, there, well, there was, I mean, we were, that was the, called the work hard, play hard. I mean, you, you, know, you had to be able to work, but then, you know, I hate to say it, it, different time, you know, with what you could do and not do. So I'll leave that there. But, we, yeah, we were, we were growing <laughs> fast. And so myself, Mark Burningham, and Charlie Sigalettis were the, really the first three non-family right. members. Right. Yeah, I almost, got, I almost got Charlie here today. Um, I was texting him last night, but uh, he's best man my way. We're still very close. But So we were like the first non-family guys kind of brought right. in. And, you know, we were out buying grapes, blending wines, uh, you know, the, a lot of that they were doing on the bolt market. But what they realized is, hey, when it first started out when they were growing, you know, this two for seven, the Glenall and they pushed out there, found distributors. It started growing and like, hey, you better take it because it really is taking off. Uh, but we could get 100 wines at our blending table and we could choose 10% of that. I mean, you had the world was your oyster. You get price, you could get quality. As we found that our brand, it was growing so fast that we had to go out and buy grapes. So then, mm. because we were limited, all of a sudden there's 10 samples and I need all 10. Well, yeah. it limits what you can do. So we grew to with, with Glen Ellen and then we started MG Vallejo. And that was kind of started right. with Val, you know, around. And that yeah. was kind of started because went back to those distributors that didn't take Glen Ellen the first time and go, hey, don't be a fool. You missed it the first time around. Look at, you know, MG Vallejo and, and the second time around. So when we so sold, MG Vallejo was out of the Glen Ellen Benziger world also. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was so that. And so you go back when we sold to Hugh Blind, you know, we were four million cases. And what year was that? 1993. So it was it was like uh, a, just don't six years from 150,000 cases to 
three, four million cases. It was, it was a great time. It was dynamic. And, and this is like you're, you're fresh out of college, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got, a, I got out of Davis. I wanted to be a farm advisor. That was my whole thing. And then I, I'll tell you the story if you want to hear it. But I'm sitting there, and uh, it's just at the time they had the uh, hiring freeze in the state. I'd got my master's. Da da da. And they like, we, they, you know, they said we, we really want you here, but we got, you know, we can't open it up. And and then I sent a letter to uh, Benziger, and they said, "Oh, we're not looking for anybody right now." I said, "That's fine." And then I got a job offer at Claude Bois to be uh, run the vineyards, you know, there and start to work there. So then all of a sudden, I get a note, I get a call from Bruce Rector, and I go, "Dude," he goes, "Hey, we want to bring you in for an interview." I go. I just got a letter three days ago that said you're not looking for anybody. Well, we're looking for somebody now. <laughs> and so I said, okay. And, and can, so I've, I knew Bruce Rector and, and, and Blake and Clark growing up. Yes. Yeah. But I, I, and I knew that he worked at Benziger. What was his position there? Well, Bruce was the kind master of. Blender, right? master, master Blender. He was a Master Blender. He came back and it was interesting. <laughs> Hopefully, Bruce and. Well, I, I always, you know. Well, I, I've talked to Bruce about coming okay. on the show. No, and he would um, actually be good. He, he, would, he, yeah. would, he would pimp his product for a while, but he'd be good. <laughs> Uh, that's, I th- that's what we're here for. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think though that what what the great thing was in that history is you had Mike Benziger that was driven, focused, you know, to some degree a taskmaster, and then you had Bruce who was this creative force, and Bruce maybe by both of them by themselves individually were not as successful as a synergy when they came together. Hmm. So Bruce would sit there on the creative side. Mike's like focusing that energy. And I really think, and then you had kind of Bruno managing this distribution end. So all that came together. But he was basically the kind of the director of supply on that side. And so that's where uh, myself and Charlie, I started working on the vineyard side, all the supply. Charlie came in with the, with the blending. And then uh, Bruno was there for the motivational speech. As, uh, <laughs> as, as Bruce told us one time, he goes, Glenn, you know, what I because he was a partner, he goes, uh, you, you know, we, we can't run out of grapes because Bruno said, if I run out of grapes and he's going to plant me ass up in the ground and see how many <laughs> grow out of that. So uh, so we had kind of a, a, a target of what we were trying to do. But I mean, I, I have nothing but the uh, love, respect for the family, the partners. You know, Mark Sternetta was part of that. It was a great experience. And I always talk about this. You talk about Maslow's theory of higher needs and there's that self-actualization being part of something. We were family. Yeah. I mean, and it, it, it was just, it, 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 I, you know, I just, I couldn't replace it. And it, it was just the best decision I made to go there instead of Clos de Bois. I ended up getting a guy at Clos de Bois, Steve Smith, that ended up running the vineyards. I mean, he, you know, he, I, he still owes me some money for that finder's fee. <laughs> but um, it, it was a great, you know, great experience. So that, so we grew very fast, uh, hard work, uh, but again, we were bottling four million cases up until 1992, until we actually went to uh, uh, East A Street. It was 91. Where were you doing all that bottling? At, at, at you got to do, you got to see it. So we had truck. It was 24. It, it was like 20 hours a day. Wait, four, where? Four hours for downtime. At at the ranch. At the ranch on that little tiny bottling yeah. line. Oh, uh, you see, that's why I said we had bottling run line all run cost of 20 hours a day. We had. Jimmy Hink's trying to fix it up with, you know, bubble gum and wire. We had a, a, po- a couple portable lines. 
and it was you had trucks running in and out. And uh, and think about the, those of you that are listening about that Benziger. They're talking about bringing in these trucks down to the winery where the tasting room is now, and and and, and it was constant trucks. The trucks would come in full and they would leave full, right? Oh yeah, come in with empty glass and leave, leave with, with full, full product. Glass. Right. Yeah, and then you've got also you bring in the bulk wine. Um, so tanker trucks are coming in. So we kind of waxed over that. A lot of this stuff was what Glenn's day job now is that. All these large wineries that are selling bulk wine—that's what Glen that, Ellen was. That's, that's what we—that's what I was saying. We would—we started that because they were kind of trying, you know, Benziger and stuff. But it was like, hey, this is an opportunity. Glen Ellen was an opportunity because no. it's like all of a sudden it's the fighting varietals. If you remember those words, it's like, no. hey, we can get varietal wine, and it's not for—it's—it's it's affordable, it's varietal, it's accessible, stylistically, it's approachable. Boom, and that you look at Setter Home, you look at Fetzer, you look at Glen Ellen was all part of that mix. And as Bruno's saying was, you know, Glenn, you only get touched once. You run as hard and as fast as you can because you never know if you're going to get touched yeah. again. And so it was a dead run to take advantage of that opportunity. So we brought in bulk, and then when we couldn't buy bulk, then we're like, so we started crushing, you know, fifty thousand tons of grapes at off-site facilities. We were kind of the brick and mortar. You don't need to own the brick and mortar to have the ability to produce the wine. So we could go cooperatively work with other wineries and still put blends together. So you got creative and you were able to do it without necessarily asset, well, or heavy asset heavy, yeah. right? And that became uh, the- And, and the thing about it is, is I always think about this, like when Mike went out there and they bought the property, it wasn't like, hey, let's, do four million cases. Uh, no, it was it was oh, it that, was that, his Mike's dream. Focus was yes, what he's doing, right? At, you know, was doing, and even the Benziger program. I mean, because I was still there when we launched that. But after the Glen Ellen, then we kind of I was doing some winemaker stuff in the Midwest with the Benziger program. I do all those visits, but we kind of launched, relaunched that with that. But yeah, I think it was an opportunity that happened, and 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 they said, you know what? Here we go. So and then, but then when they sold. The brand to Hubline, you know, the opportunity was better with me to end up going to Hubline. But I still remember walking that with Mike. I said, you, you know, you can't sell this fucking ranch. This is my ranch. Because I was running all vineyards, you know, the ranch, all supply. And and it was. I felt like, you know, he was it, it, he was selling something that I owned. It, 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 it's, it's, that's how. That's how invested yeah, you, you were. In the, yeah. You were in the family. And, right? that, and that's yeah. what they want. I mean, to be honest, that was their success. Yeah. And, and, and again, they. They uh, they've always supported me to this day that that family and group and if I ever needed anything. But did they call. buy any wine from where from you? Actually, I get every once in a while Mike sends me I get a picture him holding some Glen Ellen wine. So, yes, he does. <laughs> he might be the only one. But yeah, no, no. But well, when I started this brand in 2003 uh, and I had been working. I, so I worked at Diageo like 12 years. So that was, you know, Glen Ellen they had, and then BV and Sterling. I was, you know, running those programs for supply and vineyards. Um, I started this brand when I went to Ciotti, and, uh, I, you know, I went to my, Mike goes, you can make it here as long as you want. Just don't screw it up, M meaning, you know, do it right. And that was great. That's kind of where Bart and I really got close together. But the deal was it was just so fun because I'd go up there, and Mike and I would just catch up and, you know, crush it and make it and, and so he really got me started uh, in terms of doing this. 
you know, on the back of your card. And Glenn would Glenn would leave, and Mike go, whatever he said to do, this is what I want. Yeah, to well, do. no, he stabbed me in the back because, well, that's the whole. Th- and Bart probably has told these stories, but you know, you had that the family again. They're successful, but they're there's you know there's a little bit of competitiveness so it's like i want the best barrel i want the best tank so you know mike's like we'll take care of you and then i know when i came back the next day i'm like okay what did i lose (laughs) mike would say anything you want glenn and then negotiations would have to happen well mike's a character he's a great guy man uh, on the back of your card, you go from the U.S. to France, Chile, Argentina, Australia, Canada, South Africa, and Germany. That's the other wow. company. That's, okay. So this is what I do. You know, I do a couple things. So we've got the Pachoni Ranch, which, you know, I kind of, my sister and cousin and I own. Uh, so I take care of that. I've got the Pachoni Vineyards wine brand, which we, uh, my, my wife and I own. Uh, it's pretty small. And then for my day job, I'm a partner, one of the owners at the Ciotti Company. So we are a uh, global wine, I mean global, but global wine and grape broker. So we work between buyers and sellers uh, with bulk wine, grapes, processing, um, storage. We also do uh, other great products, uh, concentrates. So when wineries want to make Grenache from spain and they want to make the wine over there and they want to ship it to saint helena to be bottled that's something you guys help happen yeah we try i mean again we've been doing this so ciati or the early remnants of it been in business 52 years so i started in the city san francisco kind of moved into um marin county and we're still we were in uh, Mill Valley, San Rafael, and now basically the headquarters are in Novato. And I, yeah. this is a good chance to talk about this, and I know Sam probably yeah. has a bunch of questions. Well, I, and... I mean, my question basically is, sorry to interrupt you, Bart, um, but on brand. Um, did, you know, so Ciotti, 50 plus years, was that, you would you work through Ciotti and other groups like that in the Glen Ellen days to source it, all it, that? Is that kind of like, yeah, it no, seems th- like there's a through line between what you're doing there it, to what you do. I mean, if you want me now, right? Yeah. Hopefully nobody listens to this. So, but, uh, cause you, you tell no, me only truth, a few yeah. thousand a week. Don't yeah. worry about it. No, but I, I think it was an interesting decision. Cause after I left, uh, Diageo at the time, Hugh Blaine became Diageo, which is, you know, very large spirits company. Uh, but they were kind of slowly getting out of the wine business. And, um, so I had, you know, kind of was recruited by Gallo, which is a great company. And, and uh, then Ciotti talked to me, but I had, you know, we'd been a large client right. of, of Ciotti. Uh, uh, you know, I always felt that just to get a little plug in, they were the best broker out there and still are. And so I, you know, I kind of had an opportunity to, and I remember doing these, these uh, HR, like what's your future? What do you want to do five years and 10 years? And I always said, I wanted to be own my own company. So it gave me a chance with Ciotti to join that. But it was something completely different than I had done because I'd been in production. Right. So even though I'd worked with brokers, I hadn't been the broker, quote unquote, used car salesman, as some people tend to call us, that that at at that <laughs> point, I, I just want to get it out here before I, I it's OK. Everything's open. But um, but I you know, I said this is kind of, it was I remember I called Bruce. I called uh, actually really Mike, you know, who's always been my mentor and said, you know, and it was interesting because well, you've done this a long time. 
this gives you a chance to do something completely different that you really weren't as comfortable with, even I knew. So that I, I was known to Ciotti because of, uh, and, I, and to, just to be clear, I'd been offered a job earlier by the other competing wine broker and said I'd never work there. So I, you know, so I... Fill in the blanks. Yeah. <laughs> so do some I, Googling, you can yeah. figure it out on your own. <laughs> but no, it's all fun. But I, I think that that was, that there was a connection, but that was an opportunity for me to actually you know, in some way be part of an ownership group and have some control. Cause you gotta remember I'd worked at, you know, Glen Ellen, which was family. And then I'd worked at Diageo, which is big company. And so this was a new experience. So that, that was kind of the, the, the way that worked out. And it's, you know, I've been there, I think over 20 years now. So I've, I've had two jobs basically. Great. What do you get out of Germany? Is it all Rieslings? Well, things? Germany becomes, it's a couple of things. So, you know, we do local brokerage, but then we also do international. So we have, we can do local things. So it's a lot of Riesling, but you got to remember a lot of what happens in Germany is there's a lot of bottling companies that are there that are doing private brands. So you'll have those companies will ship in wine. Maybe it's Chilean wine or whatever. It comes in there, it's bottled, and then sold into the UK. Because usually you can get uh, better rates in terms of the bottling in the German market. So I, the reason why I wanted him to get into this a little bit is because it's to show everybody, like, what a crazy business that we're all in here, right? Like, just what he explained there. Well, um, and, you know, th we've done 280-some-odd episodes. Most of them are people who buy some grapes or grow some grapes right. and then make it into wine and they put it into bottles and then they sell it to stores and customers and tasting rooms and and you know yeah fingers <laughs> crossed uh you know wine club whatever most of the wine in the world is this other format right there's a, this other sort of business model that um we don't really talk about on the show because that's not you know the little small like side project winemakers and things that we've had but uh that's the lion's share of this business is moving big amounts of wine internationally, nationally from, you know, where it's made to where it's bottled and then where it gets sold. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of wine uh, made in the world, a lot of wine, you know, made here. I mean, we crush last year, you know, 3.34 million tons, right. In the state of California. And that was down, yeah, it was right. Down from 18, right. Right. I mean, it was, and again, we can talk about that if you want to talk about the market as we go forward and, and I gave you guys a copy. I mean, not this isn't even self promotion, but with Ciotti, we do a, a monthly California report and we do a global report on uh, the wine business, which is free and available on our website. And you can apply for we'll, free. We'll, yeah, but, we'll. Uh, but uh, but I think have that, it all on the website. Yeah. Right. But I think the deal is is um, yeah, there's it's a big marketplace out there, and so we try to in our business we work with everybody. Right. Uh, and and part of that is, you know, you, you tend to know who's who um, and but it's really relationship based. And I think that's what's so interesting and what I love this business still uh, in many ways is still about people. And it's and it's, you know, appreciating people, listening to people, doing business with people. We're not selling widgets. And and I think there's some value to that. And uh, I've always been a believer. You know, people go, what do you think about and I said, you know what? All you have is your reputation, you know, and you got to be careful of that. And, and you never know if you're going to be working for somebody or they're working for you, you know, and how that plays out. Hmm. So comport yourself, you know, in the right way. Well, you're I, lucky you're not making widgets because that's an awful goddamn boring. 
Yeah, and, I, and you know. it's a great business to be in. Now, at the same time, you know, in the wine business, let's just kind of talk about the reality, right? It still comes down to price, quality. So we'll sit there, you know, in our business. So we do a lot of bulk wine. We'll do great brokerage. Again, processing, case goods, uh, high, uh, brandy. But we'll send out samples, right? So um, Brian here is the buyer of whatever you need, uh, 25,000 gallons of uh, Alexander Valley Cab. So we send you, you know, here's these two samples. We might send you in this market, you know, 10 or 12. You're tasting them. You come back, well, what's the ask price? Uh, where's the price? And then you're looking, okay, what am I going to do? What's Because, uh, again, you still have to sell wine to the consumer. You have to have a cons- – in this business, it's a business. I mean, I'm selling small little bottles of wine we just talked about. But this – you have to have a consumer proposition that's, that makes sense to that consumer that drives all the way back a profitable uh, marketplace, right? You can't, I mean, it's, I got an idea. Well, if nobody cares about the idea, guess what? You're not going to be doing it too long. So, but, we'll, but what I love about this, I'll send out two Cabernet samples, and let's say Brian and Bart, and you'll look at this and you go, man, I really like this one, but God, this is crap. Why did you send this to me? I just don't like it, right? I want to offer on this. I'll send these same two bottles to Bart in, uh, you know, as an example. And he goes, I love this wine, the one that you didn't like. So it really becomes down to you know what, what a winemaker wants. It could be it's a blending component versus standalone. It could be I need some oak or I need acid for what I'm putting together. So we not, you know, we try not to be judgmental about the wine. We try to say, okay, what does that consumer want? Or that in terms of this, the, the buyer, usually a winery, and here's a breath of what you can come and get. So it's really interesting when you, if you get too hoity toity, I guess in this business, you know, you've got to be careful. Uh, uh, and, and so we look at that, but it's a relationship with that, that, that uh, buyer and seller. Uh, and then we negotiate, you know, help negotiate the price. And then we're a third party. And so when both parties agree, we then write up the terms and conditions and sign it in, into a binding agreement. So do you ever hold inventory? We don't hold inventory. Yeah. I mean, we're not a trader. So you, right. there is people out there that will trade. Now, I, I have say we had in certain countries done some just because of the, the laws in that country, how we'd work as a broker. But we're a broker, so we don't we rep. We're in the middle between buyer and seller. We don't have interest, so our interest is in the deal, and that's why we go back. You know, because if, if if it wasn't that case, if I just represented one side, then I can't actually talk to everybody, right? Because right. then I'm I'm a biased broker. That's not so. We're we kind of go here's where the market is. Here's the prices. What do you want to do? We look at it from that segment. We're not competing with our clients. So how does that work? Let's say Sam has, let's let's make it simple, 60 gallons of Grenache that he wants to put right. on the bulk market because he's got some extra Grenache this year. And he sends you a sample. And does he say, this is how much I want to sell it for? Or you taste it and say, this is how much we think we can sell it for? No, see, that's where we go back. It, it's great, great question. So we'd go back. Hey, Sam, here's what we do. You go, okay, I've got this 60 gallons. Okay, can we get samples? So we'd have somebody come up. We have a courier that's running every day. And we probably spend too much on uh, UPS and other delivery services. Everybody spends too much yeah. on UPS. But um, <laughs> so, so we'll come out, get the samples. We'll start talking. Hey, we need a case of this. 
uh, bottled, you know, we need appellation, vintage, varietal percentage, because that's, you know, you have to be compliant depending on what you're doing with it. Um, talk about here's where the market is. We don't have a lot of guys looking at Grenache, but there's there's some that may look at that. Where do you want to be on price? Here's where we think the market currently is today. Where do you need to be? You know, somebody may say, well, I need to sell it for 80 bucks a gallon. And we're going, hey, right. we're, the market activity is 15 to 20. Uh, let's, you know, so there's a reality to what that is. Um, but let's get samples. Let's send them out. Let's come back. Some guys go, you know, Glenn, if you don't get me X, I don't want to do it. Other guys are like, I'd really like X, but I'm open to offers. Right. So then we go basically to a counter, ask, offer, back and forth until we get some kind of agreement we as a broker can say things that you can't say to each other so let's say you're the buyer a buyer brian you know we're like you know i'm kind of talking to he wants to sell it you know we can he, he you know we can kind of in the middle it. there finesse it a little bit yeah. or at some point say hey you know what you know this is uh, sam this is the market you know if you don't want to take it fine but here's where i think your other alternatives are so then you try to put that together. But the market is the market. We are no. not a, we're a market observer and we follow that very closely, but we're not a market maker. The market makers are the dynamics between buyers and sellers we see every day. Okay. And, but, and, but, but isn't it also what's available and what's coming down the pike? Well, yeah, I mean, you look at the whole thing and you start to go, it's not just this wine. It's like, where are sales overall? How's, you know, Grenache example or cab? What's the harvest look like? What's the buying activity? Is it slow? Uh, it's the, it's the overall, right? We all fit into that. And, and as we've talked about, if you're reading of our things, I mean, we are in a tough marketplace right now. I mean, yeah. one of the things I go back to, you talked about, we talked about 3.3 million tons of grapes crushed. Well, you know, we're at, we're usually around 4 million statewide. Uh, we estimated it was three, four to three, six in our report before the crush report came out. We as a group kept going, man, it, maybe it was three, eight, maybe it was bigger because the market's so slow. When it came out at 3.3 million tons, this is now six months ago. We're like, wow, the market's slow and the crop was light. bad sign, right? In terms of demand. And even though you could say, hey, that's the, the state, that, that still flows out through everybody in right. terms of what we're seeing in the market. So that becomes, too, we're seeing, so right now, um, cash is getting a little tighter. Cash flow is becoming more of a question because you've got inventory. Quickest way to go out of business in the wine business has too much inventory at too high a cost. So you've got to move through it. I mean, we've seen a couple, we just talked to a deal today and they're, some Napa cab, they probably sold just a little bit cheaper than they would have because they said, hey, we, we, we'll do a, quick deal we, we need the money in 30 days or you know having some cash so a lot of different reasons things happen um but that's why we try to be on top of you know here's where the market seems to be here's availability we, you know here is and this is just for california as a whole but right. this is we chart this this is all our inventory by month that we show that we represent so for we the have, whole for the whole state the whole state now you can break that down by variety by region by mm -hmm. everything and we look at that, and it starts to give an idea where inventory sits. Look at the differences between cab and everything else on that. Chart. Yeah, and it's so you start to look. Now we do a lot of cab, but you you know one of the things we're seeing is cab in general. That seems to be plentiful, at least in terms of where we sit today in the marketplace. So, and you you kind of have to break it down in more specifics as you get to to uniqueness. But that's kind of our job in terms of understanding the market. So a lot of what we do, we broker deals, but a lot of what we provide is information. 
from a buyer and seller point. Here's where the market is. Here's what we're hearing. Here's what we're seeing. Here's how it feels. You own it. You tell us what you want to do. I mean, we're not, we're not, you know, I'm not making money. You know, he's, he's if, if Sam's selling the Grenache, that's his, but I'm, here's the information. So really we're in the information business as I see it and relationship mm -hmm. business that then the value, how we get returned is basically by, you know, consummating deals. But that really, when we have good clients, it's about that information and relationship is where the value is. So when our listeners see a headline that says, um, you know, oversupply of grapes means prices will be down, you know, or they hear it's a heavy crop or a light crop and they hear it's a light crop and they think prices are going up. And can you kind of talk through that a little bit, at Look, least with your experience? It's a supply demand business, right? So you could have a light crop, but if the demand isn't growing, and that's a little bit we're seeing overall, uh, both globally and in California, we've had. Wait, sorry, yeah. say that. So the, the demand for actual wine sales, you think has? So oh, I think it's, it's yeah. You go back. You you had it really start in eighteen, mm -hmm. uh, and then we had a little blip here as we you know we kind of then it kind of went down as we're going into COVID. Then as COVID kind of came, you saw a little bit of a blip, especially right. supermarket shelves. Um, and so there was kind of a jump there. But if you start looking that over the last four to five years on total sales, and you can you know Gombert Fredrickson does a good job with this. We're seeing uh, it's flat to declining. Um, and I think what this business is very tough is finding margin in this business as a wine business, whether you're a grower. Because I get this winery's going, I want to buy grapes. Well, Glenn, I can only afford to pay this because here's what the distributor or the retailer is taking you know, in terms of their cut. Growers going, hey, my production cost just went up 20%, labor. So i need this right well then you're like i go to but then the winery goes well i can't you know so everybody's trying to find margin whether you're a winery selling your product on the shelf or to a consumer or if you're the grower right and in some ways we're all price takers right to the to the consumer um so i what we see in this business at least right now because margin's so hard to find i think we're getting a smaller uh not larger uh i mean you can go back um sam through you and your dad i mean you know you're not necessarily seeing a lot of people put a lot of vineyards in the ground at this point right. because they're looking at the cost to replace it, and then they're looking at what they're going to make on a per ton, and they're going, you know what? I've got this asset. I'm not sure there's enough margin to take that risk in terms of what I'm doing. So that's this. So I think overall we've had smaller crops, but we're not seeing that consumption growth. The other thing that's part of this whole thing is um, I think – in terms of the occasions we're drinking wine, you know, I think with DoorDash and delivery and COVID, I think that's changed a lot when you know how people are sitting down or where they're drinking. Um, I think when you look at a younger consumer set and how they're looking at health or alcohol, there was a great article. It was not great for the wine industry, but it came out about a month ago on, you know, when you can early the whole French paradox and now and research and how it was healthful and now it's come full back around where there's a question of alcohol and health and, and especially on the wine side so that's not necessarily driving sales in terms of where they are and the other thing is wine's relatively expensive when you look at a cost per unit alcohol versus spirits or even beer no no and there's a reason it all needs to be that so i think there's still a market and a and a margin i just think what you're seeing is that is getting more competitive 
and it's a business and it's and it's a great romantic i mean i'm i'm you know i'm in love with this business emotionally tied but it's a business and, and i think that's a little bit of what we're seeing um come back around in this as people try to look for margins so i've got people going hey i'm going to take up you know my bottle price and let's say you have a hundred thousand cases so let's say it's a real brand you know we need to take it up two or three dollars a case we expect we're going to sell ninety thousand cases maybe 85. so what that means is they're probably going to need to buy less grapes so there's still an, an opportunity and they could probably pay for those grapes but they're not buying as many as they were before because they're trying to keep margin the hence those blue lines on that chart keep yeah. going up and right and that cabernet there's more and more of it on the bulk market because they're instead of a hundred thousand cases, people are making 85 and selling it for $5 more. I, I think it's a little bit of that. I think the right. other thing that's, that's here, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm on the, I guess, wine grape commission. I was chairman for a while for Sonoma County and, uh, whatever that means. But I, I think, you know, I, I love Sonoma County, but it's hard right now. Uh, cause some brands are, so you've got a choice. So I've got this, you know, Sonoma County cab, and I'm selling this 100,000 cases, okay, one thing I can do is take the price up, right? And just go through a scenario we talked about. The other scenario is, you know what? I can't take the price up because either with the retail where it sits or because of my margin. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna adjust my supply strategy to adjust costs. So now it's either we're gonna change it from Sonoma County to North Coast or California. And if the consumer doesn't care or it doesn't care enough, I've built margin into it, but I've changed my sourcing dynamics. And so what I really think we need on some of these premium appellations, we need, hopefully what we see is people go, hey, there's an opportunity in Sonoma County's others to come in and start a brand. But that's where the, the, the how two ways people are kind of adjusting in this new market. And you carry the Sonoma County logo on. Yeah, I, I've done that since yeah. 2003 on, on our dry creek. You know, uh, I, I, uh, on our little brand, you know, we could just have Dry Creek, but it's Sonoma County. I, I remember the, um, oh, uh, uh, Klein, uh, where am I going? Tom, uh, right, at, right uh, at, uh, Rodney Strong. Rodney Strong, uh, real smart guy. And, and I remember he, and I think it was at the Wine Institute. I was on the Wine Institute board for a while, but he was like, he goes, you know, we, we have, Ale at that point, Alexander Valley. But when I start a conversation with the distributor, I say, we're in California because, we're in Sonoma County. You know, you there's value right in that whole pyramid of your supplies. It shrinks down, right? We're not in South, you know, Africa or Australia. You know, but so you start that process. So I think it's important uh, that we promote I the it seventeen. Across. The seventeen Petitsera. Yeah, I Petitsera. Petitsera. So let's talk about that a little bit. So we're it's going back to Pachoni, I think, just so you know. I know. I mean, I want to. We could talk. <laughs> no, I mean, we could I, talk. I, I, I have so many questions about the bulk wine trends yeah. and stuff like. But let's talk right. about. Uh, and we, I'm fine either let's, way. Let's you know, let's sell some Pachoni here. Uh, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's find. Let's find you some margins. Well, the, go the on your nice thing about it is, it's good to have family, uh, because there a lot of the Pachoni family likes buying Pachoni wine. <laughs> so go. thank you so much if you're listening to this. We appreciate it. So. <laughs> So this is uh, a Petit Syrah, this Wild Bull. It's about 95% uh, uh, Petit, about, I throw a little Zinfandel in there, about 5%. Uh, it's still got a lot of, of acid to it for a 2017, but I think that's, I love, I think Petit really is a, uh, um, 
a noble grape and it can make a noble wine. I think it's kind of got yeah. beaten up a little bit too much. You know, if you really can work on kind of the extraction, balance out that acid and kind of control the tannins a little bit with, you know, what we try to do is we get it down to kind of 10 bricks and just stop touching it. Right. So we're not getting that extraction with higher alcohol. We're not, I can't, it's hard for me to press off and finish because, you know, I've got, I got one tank. So I'm, I, right. yeah. But, um, so we've really, I really like it. It's always been a varietal that I've, uh, think competes with some of the, you know, Bordeaux reds out there in terms of what it can offer. So, statement. yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's me. I mean, nobody has to agree, but I think that it's oh. got kind of that, you know, that blueberry, it's got some spice that acid holds up. I think it, I think it, again, they can be aggressive. It can be astringent and tannic. And that I think is where we've had some of those wines and that turns consumers off. Uh, but that's, you know, that's my take. So that's what we're trying to make again, a food wine. I think with the acids really important with the petite, uh, and try to tone down some of the, uh, the the but you can see you know it's throwing yeah. some stuff so yeah i i, I got ahead of myself and poured the 21 petite uh, so just you know i have before. not tried the 21s at all okay so this is what when, how long ago were the 21s about about, about two and a half months ago yeah. so i you know i'm smart enough because i did that one time where i tasted it a couple of days after i bottled it and i'm like oh my god what my do we world's do? over what so do? i don't so i haven't tried it yet but i figure why not do it amongst the uh, uh yeah. Yeah, it's probably coming out of yeah, yeah. coming out of bottle bottle shock. Yeah. Bottle shock yeah well what now. i was going to say about this is that it it definitely has that beautiful fruit um the acid is there but on both wines glenn compliments because the tannins are in check on on both of them so Whatever you're doing, it seems like it's going the right way. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of the petite, because we talked about where it sits with this east-facing slope, and it's you know we lose a little bit of sun in the afternoon. Uh, you know we're picking this at 23.5, 23.8. It's not 26. Some people would like it at 26, but that's kind of where yeah. we, we 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 like it. So, well, yeah. speaking of that, how much um, petite Syrah do you see sold on the bulk market that goes to Napa? cab producers <laughs> um well i think i mean again there is blending going yeah. on a lot of the Na you know napa cabs which they're very nice uh a lot of that you know they like to go to lake county for some lake county cabs is that you know if you've got that you know percentage to play with um we do see more petite syrah petite syrah to me when you get to a bigger market you know besides the varietal side what we look at in the bulk and grape market a little bit, there's qualitative enhancers and um, quantitative enhancers, right? So so let's say you're putting together a Sonoma County cab and you, you need a certain price. Well, you know what, Sonoma County, I think it's, I can do 15%. You know, you may put Lodi something and this or that, make it 85% cap, and the rest has got quality, but you're controlling costs, right? Because you're trying to get that cost to where you need it to be and still make, I mean, this is a reality of the world we live in, right? Make that, so I've got that. Now, it doesn't mean it's worse or bad. It could be better, right? Depending yeah. on who's blending it and how they put it together. What we see a lot with Petite on the bulk side, it's usually a little more expensive in general, like Lodi Petite or something, but people add it because uh, it's got so a qualitative, qualitative enhancer. enhancer. It adds middle, it adds color, it adds some intensity. So I think that's why you've seen, you go back in the last six, eight years, we've seen more acres of petite come into the ground. The other thing is the red blends. When you start looking at red blends uh, that some programs have had, petite's a big component of that. 
I don't think when you look at petite varietal cells, and even, you know, I mean, if you look at the Gomberg numbers for, I think I just looked at this the other day, a little depressed, but I mean, because I make a Zen, but I think Zen's down like 8 or 10%, you know, in terms of varietal Zen. So, as we're far not, as sale, what do you uh, mean? Volume, down, down volume, volume made. Yeah. Right, yeah. So you've got, you know, it's, again, what people are drinking, uh, but, but, uh, but yeah, Petite is used as a blender, I think. Is but it's more of a, a, a it, it, we see a lot of people like it because of the quality that it adds to it. Sure, it has a lot of value there. Yeah. Where I have other people that hey, I just need it, you know, and I need some wine to put in here. I need a white wine that's X price or whatever because I've got to make it work. Yeah. <clears throat> and what talk about? So sorry, I'm I'm so fascinated by the bulk market because it's something we don't normally get a chance to talk about. Yeah. What are the most popular things that people are looking for in the bulk market. So obviously we see the, the blue line is the well, cab from Napa. Yeah. Right? And if you guys, you guys, uh, when you're real bored, you can look at that California report. Uh, but the, the, uh, it helps you go to sleep at night, but the, the well, it I, keeps you up at night. Yeah, kind of well, I, that night. is a problem. I mean, <laughs> right. I, we, we met with a client last week and you know, and a good client. And I think that I came back and visited them a couple of days later and they go, don't talk to us because we're still a little depressed from the, the last visit because we gave him a market update. You know, here's the reality. I mean, you got to be – I know what I know today. I mean, tomorrow we could have a frost or something, a crop failure, or we could have some new variety, you know. Don't trend. say it. And I'm knocking, I'm knocking it. on whatever here. Don't say it. <laughs> uh, I'm not going there, but, but what I'm getting at is something could change tomorrow. I know yeah. what I know today, but our job is to tell you what we believe to be the truth, right? Yeah. We're not going to sit there – uh, and go, but what, but the, the overall market activity, it's slow. We, and we have a guy that helps us write that California report, kind of the, the, we, we write it, put the information. We then sit t down together for two hours and, and he, but, but he's been doing it since 2016. He goes, guys, you know, this, just see like, my observation, this is the slowest I've seen you guys talk about the market and see, that's a different perspective than us who are living in it every day. So it's, it's slow out there. Um, the things that are moving, Napa Cab on the bulk side continues to move. Uh, maybe you could argue it's strong, but not as strong as it was a couple months ago. We're seeing the prices maybe lower a little bit, and some of the buyers, not as many. Uh, Russian River Pinot, Russian River Shard, but not as dynamic as it was just two or three months ago. There really isn't a lot of buyers in the market uh, because there's no reason to buy, right? So if nobody else is buying, they're going, why should I jump in? I'm going to wait to see where it goes. And it's the same with the grape market. Grape market right now is slow. There's a couple deals being done. Uh, but I would say in the last, and we had early activity uh, after harvest and people came in and got what they needed. But now buyers are being very cautious and they want to see what the crop size is. They want to see what their sales are going to be, you know, after OND and how they go into this year and what those margins are. Can they take price up? Can they not before they enter? Uh, and their question is, could the market get weaker? Is it going to get stronger? When do I uh, advance? I was with a buyer the other day, and they're like, Glenn, tell me when activity starts, because I want to buy something, but I don't want to lead it. Yeah. I want to you know, see where it's going to go. And that, that's where we're at right and now. Be the second man over the hill, not the first man over the hill. Right, because you can, right? I mean, if, if there was nothing out there to get, then it'd be different, right? I have to have it. Um, but I, I think people being conservative, I think there's a lot of pressure when you look at banks and lending, insurance companies. What we're seeing is everybody's trying to protect their rear end. 
and 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 so that's making it harder too in terms of people taking risk um and we do have some you know both supplier buyers and sellers going you know hey cash flow and where do you think this market's going to be i mean we do a um every quarter we do a bulk market valuation so we look at like every area and we come up with our range of where we think bulk markets are a lot of that goes to banks so when they look at lending on assets, you know, and try to understand where that value. How different be. are you from Sonoma Valley Bank? What they used to do in terms S of the Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley Bank. Well, Silicon Valley Bank would not, and they're still around. Yeah. Uh, uh, but they don't. They never would have. I mean, he uh, uh, Rob would do the kind of their annual report, and actually, if you look at it, it would usually use our information for right. inventory. Right, yeah. uh, so they tend not to throw out pricing and pricing's always so hard because it really depends on all the stuff we talked about right because i can sit there it's, it's the same like with a grape you know what's like glenn you know uh the buyer's like well i think i can pay between eight hundred thousand dollars a ton and he tells the grower that well you know where the where the grower's at it's got to at least be a thousand right i can't tell why would i thousand dollars to pick the grapes well, no, these okay days. but let's go back and say it's three thousand <laughs> but it, and it's twenty eight hundred you know you kind of go there so like Bulk wine, everybody, oh, Glenn, you said, you told me the market's this. So when we come out with pricing, we're always like, hey, the disclaimer is that we usually, that's where we've seen sales, you know, but depending on where the market goes, that there's no guarantee that that's where things are. Um, but and was the sales on 12,000 gallons or was the sale on 1,000 gallons? No, and we had that the other day. Somebody goes, I sold it, this at, you know, 35 bucks. Well, how much? Oh, we sold 400 gallons. I've got another 12,000 to sell. Right. You might not sell the other 12 at 34 bucks or, you know, you may want to. And again, that's where we try to help with strategy of the market. I mean, we've had um, sellers in the past that had some very nice wine. You know, we think it's worth 20. They got an 18 offer. They said no. A couple months later, they, they get a 16 and offer. No, we're at 18. I can tell you this one seller, we followed all the way down to eight bucks and they were always over the market. Now that was their, I mean, that was, uh, Hey, that's their wine. They knew what the other alternative use for was it. But I think that's where it's important to understand just because you bought it at this doesn't mean that's what it's worth today. It's kind of like stock. This is what, uh, and there is a value dynamically, you know, on bulk wine, uh, that you have to be aware of. You don't want to be, too attached, I, I think, when you really look at it, um, because that's, again, it's a business. And so in a business, what's my return? Now, we have other, you know, you can afford those risks. You can say, hey, I'll wait. I had a guy, you know, this a couple of years ago when the market was really bad for AV cab. And I said, hey, I think the market's 2,000 a ton, right? This is 19 when we probably left 200,000 tons unpicked in the state because we had such a big 18 and people just didn't need it. Oh, Glenn, we need to get 3,500. And I said, that's fine. I hope you have a strategy and a plan to get that return. But what I see in the market today is this, and that's, that's, you know, we're just there to, to yeah. give our opinion and educate. We don't make decisions per se. Yeah. And every, so, so everything you see on that list is basically when you work as a psalm on the floor of a restaurant is the things that typically are being sold. So for example, the Napa cab, oh, yeah. it's Sonoma Chard and Pinot, it's Sauvignon Blanc. Um, you know, it's, so those are the things that are mo the, right. the most popular. So, um, so let's, well, the other, and just to go in, what's moving? Um, and the it's Paso Cab has had you know kind of a blip. I saw, but that. I can yeah. see that Paso Cab is in the last three months has has started to 
retrograde just a little bit, but that you know, there's kind of a, a, a definitely some bridles and, and, and producers there that have tried. But to here's the thing: that. Do you guys dig into why? So is it is it Paso Cab because people are looking for depth and complexity, but a better price point, or do you guys even go that deep, or do you just say this is what the the, the price is bearing right now? Well, we try to understand the market, but I don't, we don't try to dissect it into is it because it offers the consumer a different flavor profile. I mean, we right. see it as it offers the consumer, you know, you've got some wineries that have gained some credibility. It's a unique appellation. We see buyers come in because it's a differentiation to maybe Napa or Sonoma. No. And here's the pricing. Uh, we try to look at it. Is it a blip or is it really something that could last? So like you're going, hey, I got offered $20 for my Paso cab. Is that going to be the next five years? Right. Or if I'm doing a five-year bulk deal, should I be thinking 15 is the price, right? Yeah, so I didn't know if you had an that. office, you know, there was some guys in the back room that were trying to figure out why things were going in a specific we, direction. We, yeah, we do. We look at the market, but we're, we're yeah, we're uh, on the other stuff. I mean, we're not, we're connected, but we're not minute in terms, you know, that minutia yeah. when we're looking at. So we try to work, you know, try to understand where buyers are. The other one we've seen, Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, hottest great. hottest variety in the world right or country it, right it, now. It right? is. I think it is. I think I think what we're gonna see is I hate to say it, but usually eventually we can overproduce, you know, right. what goes. So you're seeing more Sauvignon Blanc put in the ground. We're seeing more wineries put their own Sauvignon Blanc in the ground because if I'm gonna have to buy it for this, maybe I should grow it myself. I can take some kit, you know, whatever out. But but Sauvignon Blanc has definitely with the consumer, we've continued to see that take off. Um It'll be interesting to see, you know, where prices go is that, but it definitely that's, you know. Yeah. How yeah. high can you go with Sauvignon Blanc? Because right. at the, at the end with the, how much does the consumer want to pay? There's the high end Sauvignon Blanc, but right. then there's the stuff of typically people that are drinking Sauvignon Blanc want to drink a nice, easy acid driven white wine on a hot day, ice cold under $25 a bottle, but for sure. Right? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and I think that's what we've got. And again, you, you know, we're in this business. You're going to push some of that, right? Where can I go? Where do I need to go? What's the price? Yeah. Uh, but you, you know, you've seen a lot of North coast, but you know, you look at in a general sense, a lot of the brands that are growing right now are California appellated. Sauvignon Blanc brands that are really growing with volume that use North coast grapes, partly because they like the quality profile that they get. And they can blend it, but at some point, if the cost gets too high, I, again, I think I'm a wine. I, mean, I don't know what the hell I do, but I think you know. Sometimes <laughs> I'm a winemaker, sometimes a whatever, a grape grower, but you know, I think I'm a craftsman in some sense. But when it all comes down to it, you got to make sure the finance guy agrees with you, right? The CFO. So you're going to sit there as a winemaker go, you know what? We really need to buy 50% North Coast Sauvignon Blanc to go in this California program. You know, the quality's there. Well, if you don't have somebody defending that quality and making yeah. sure it happens, the CFO is going, you know, if we only do 20%, you know what our margin would be? So, so it's, it's, again, that's that, that debate, that discussion is always happening. I think. Yeah. So let's, let's put this in the, the shoes of the consumer. If you're Zen or Petitra, Petisera. I'm going to try the Petisera. the 17 Petisera is great. I want to try the 21. I just tried the other one. So let's let's put this in the framework for, for consumers. If you're right now going to your local wine shop or your supermarket, grocery store, and buying a couple bottles of wine, 
where what would you look for for your you know to get that highest quality price ratio going you know out there that's that's you know it's gone through Ciotti, it's been bottled it's distributors picked it up it's now at you know total wine yeah bevmo quality for price well what you know appellation variety re, you know would you be grabbing off that shelf uh, Dry Creek Zins. Good answer. Petit Syrah. Hottest varietal going. Well no, I, 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 it's a hard question to answer, and I'll try to answer it. I mean, I think, and I'll start with this. I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's um, probably working, at, you know, at a, uh, a very well-known winery for, you know, 40 years as a wine, you know, and, and we were talking – and he's like, you know, Glenn, it's it's interesting. You know, 20 years ago, you'd get some good and bad wines, right? He goes, now it's really hard to find defected wines, yeah. you know, that have a problem. So so the, the bar has gotten, for a consumer, I think the world's your oyster because I think there's a lot of very good wines out there. So I, I think that's just in terms of underlying where we've come. We've, right. you know, um, we, we've made... Um, leaps and bounds, I think, in terms of the overall quality across the board. Uh, but I mean, I think you're right now, if you're out there, uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of like North Coast Sauvignon Blancs, I think, that are really good. Uh, I, and I tend to like Sauvignon Blancs as kind of a white wine. Uh, I think some Monterey Chardonnays mm. that are out there are, are pretty good. Um, I mean, I think the Russian River Pinot. I, I, I'm, are, are, there's some great stuff there, um, but I mean, those what I'd look at. Uh, I do think when you look at some Sonoma. I mean, I tell you, if you, what you need to do if you haven't done it is you go into a Costco and start looking at. You know, it's amazing on some of the prices. I mean, there's a Sonoma County Chardonnay out there that's under eight bucks a bottle. So. Um, boggles my mind. Yeah, how you even get it to be under eight dollars a bottle? So there is glass cork bottling well, labels. But, but then, then that comes into it is, you know, is it a stressed? Is there a reason why right. it's that low? Or right. you know, what vintage is it? What vintage? Um, what, you know, and I assume that Glenn's seeing it. He's he's aware of those things, and if he's saying it's out there, then it's probably a pretty damn good value. But I I would go where you go, Sam. Like. Right. How in the fuck are they selling that? Yeah. They, they must right. be in trouble, okay. right? right? You know. Well, there's a little bit of that, but I think also you, again, if you go back into big business, you've seen more people do, like private label used to be kind of a third-party guy. He'd buy bulk at a distressed price right. or something, make the, here you go. Um, now what we're seeing is wineries will say, you know, hey, I've got a little extra inventory. Instead of me putting that in the bulk market, maybe, you know what I'll do? I'll bottle it. I'll do a private label to a large retailer. Maybe it's a lost leader. Maybe I'm I'm just covering some overhead. I'm making no money. But then, oh, you know, I've got a relationship with them. And by the way, can you buy some cases of my branded label? So you've got people. Try, so some of this is relationship where it's like, if you give me this, I'll do this for you. I, I talked to one of you. I did a special bottling owned by neither. I mean, it was you couldn't see who the winery was, right? Boom. And then they go, oh, we're going to probably sell these cases there. So that's the, the, the you know, kind of what's going on behind the scenes is, uh, you, you know, you kind of, I'll do this and you do this. 
So it's it's not just selling this one wine. It's just, just a speck of sand. Sam, you mentioned eight dollar bottle of wine and the breakdown. Um, uh, on any bottle, um, what is the breakdown percentage wise between the glass, the label, cork processing, shipping? And the actual wine. This is cool. More than eight dollars, John. Yeah, I, I try, I'm trying to petite. I'm trying, I didn't. I, I I wish I knew. <laughs> no, I mean, but always, John, your most expensive cost is the raw materials. It does grapes. Grapes or juice is going to be the leader on that. Then the labor to the labor to get it there. Um, you know, the cost of glass is basically doubled in the last couple of years. Uh, corks pretty stable. Um, you know, labels is such a variable thing on on what, what on printing it. kind of printing you do, what paper you're using, how much you're making of it. Um, you know, lab, you know, but on an eight dollar bottle, say at at the cost that sixteen six hundred pays, uh, that would be four dollars in packaging materials. You know, you're going to pay another dollar or something in shipping and bottling. Um, doesn't leave a lot of room there for grapes. Yeah. Right, for the wine. Um, but, you know, when I, when I hear an $8 bottle, that's what, I, that's what I think is like, just to, get, just to get it in the bottle and labeled and corked and, and shipped, that's a big chunk of that $8. Yeah. At, oh, at, 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 our, at our scale, though, right? Because if you're doing an eight dollar bottle, no, you're, of wine, and you're probably talking some of these guys are doing two hundred thousand cases exactly. at that, right? So that's where you start to get some some value out of that. But it's their labels are a lot cheaper, and right. the bottles are a lot cheaper, and the, you know they're yeah. bottling they own the bottling lines that are paying the truck to show up. You know, those, but you got to start back again. It goes to me. It's this consumer proposition. You've got to start at that level. What's my margin? What's it? How do I build it back from there? Right. And right. can I make that fit? If you just build it and say they will come, that doesn't always work. No. Uh, in terms of what uh, what or, we see, or does uh, it ever work? Yeah, and, and again, I look at it is is you know from a grower perspective, which I you know one of those too is, you know we were looking, hey, should we replant this vineyard? And by the time I went through and we looked at cost of end post, cost of stake, and the vineyard manager I used was sitting there. You know what? Hey, let's just get a little backhoe. Let's just pull those, you know, the guys out. Let's we'll do a reap because it doesn't. It, you know, you start to look at that, and maybe if you did that, the vineyard would be a little more efficient, and you might, you know. But you're going. Uh, does it really make sense to take that fifty, sixty thousand dollars an acre, probably more, yeah. especially if you got to do any kind of drainage, and and do that? And it's that's where. So, you know. But we, that's where we've got some growers and sellers going. Here's my what I've got into it, and, and that's where it gets hard, right? Somebody's take, but it, but I always go back to anybody. It's worth what it is today. It's not necessarily worth what it was six months ago because you're in the market today, uh, and you've got to be aware of that. So when we look at the market today, we think it's a. If there's reasonable offers out there, just as we go through this on the bulk side or grape side, I think you got to take those. Because I think you got to look at your risk going forward. If the economy has some questions, you know, which it still does. If consumers are start, you know, we're not sure where they're going to be um, with inflation where it sits. I think you want to not be stuck with unsold things when you look at inventory. So we, you know, we're, no. 
our advice has been we're not saying um, run for the hills, but we're also saying, hey, don't sit there and be open to what the market represents and what it presents. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen some people. We did a deal, Martin, uh, you know, it's like really good producer. They had, you know, uh, some Pinot Noir, and they're like, you know, you'd think that they would come back. I said, here's the offer. And, you know, and I said, hey, it's, you know, it's really reasonable to come back with a counter. You might have a few dollars here. And, and they're like, I'll take it. Hmm. And by the way, would they buy a few extra gallons just to make sure I finish this lot? And, and I think that's the smart business decision right now, right? Um, it all may change tomorrow, right? right? We, we don't know, but it, it, you really have to think about, you know. It's, it's okay a, to be sold out for a little while. Yeah, it's a long-term. To go along with what you always say, Brian. Yeah. Well, and, the, and that's what I was wondering, too. So 18, you had bumper crop, and so, but then 20, was there a correction? Or wh- how did 20 affect the bulk market? Well, that is nice. Yeah, I really yeah. like the front right? of that wine. <laughs> Sorry, the Zin. I'm on the 21. I haven't tasted yeah. the the 21s. Like I said, no, I the Zin's, kinda, I the wish Zin's I great. Maybe yeah. I should have done this in the you know close the doors and did it. <laughs> I, I was kind of brave to say no let's, because let's you would have been a lot more critical. I would I would have been yeah. harder. I'm not easy on my own yeah. wines. Been you yeah. in the house by yourself in the dark. Yeah, I would have probably yeah I probably cried. Uh, go ahead. What was the question? I'm sorry. I so was just how, how 2020, <laughs> yeah, the 2020 effect, how, you know, it, it, people and selling off. Still, well, and, and I think to Brian's to sort of further Brian's question, the 18 and 19 being these giant crops, fruit left on the vine, and then you go into 20, which, you know, continues to have all these question marks around, you know, what to do with 2020s. Um, talk about the sort of the ripple effect the bulk wine market that those three vintages you know bumper crop and then and then questionable you know yeah it's crop. i mean I, I, it's interesting because this morning at 8 30 i think when we were texting each other bart i literally had a large winery go glenn can you tell me how many tons we lost in 2020 because of smoke and because the crop was short and we had done a unified presentation so i i sent in the deck over and meaning going, we as the industry not of them themselves right there was an industry there you know everybody's trying to come back and understand right i mean again this there's a lot of information out there so you can really be educated on what's going on or perception of what's going on um so you know we think there was probably I don't know the number we had. I mean, he, I think I'm, I should look at the thing, but it's like, you know, over 200,000 tons was rejected, left on the vine. It probably was two to 300,000 tons. In, in 20. 20. And the crop was down besides that 12 to 17%. So the crop was light and you had stuff lost because of smoke. Now, I, I think the interesting thing is you go where we probably why we're seeing this kick in Napa demand right now is again, Napa has a base. I mean, it just, it says Napa and there's some price it's gonna sell at. It just, consumer, it resonates, they've established a, a, a brand to some degree. But I think some of that is a lot of them didn't produce their 20s, they sold them off in bulk, it went someplace. Right. So probably the reason we're seeing this 22 demand and 21 demand is they're kind of backfilling what they didn't right. bottle from 20. Right. So you could argue, that, is that a sustainable? You know, we'll see. Because uh, I, uh, but I think that's why you're seeing this. this they're trying to kind of refill uh, from what they lost in 20. Um, but we've worked through most of the 20 bulk wines. They don't sit out there anymore. I mean, I I continue to believe 
from our vantage point. Now, I can tell you for our, we didn't bottle a 19 and a 20 uh, for uh, Pachoni. You didn't Ni- bottle a 19 either. No, 19, well, some of it, it was a little inventory adjustment, and then we did get hit with a little smoke uh, on some stuff I didn't pick that was oh. later. Uh, but in 20, Contained. so the fire yeah. burned completely. We, we lost 130 acres. I was, so, I was looking, yeah. actually, I pulled up yeah. on Google Maps. Yeah. Where so you we, it looks like there's a lot of burn. Oh no! So and luckily for us, we you know we 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 do some timber. We're, we we love. The, we're green, but you do, you got to manage stuff. So we we did a timber harvest, and actually they had opened up those uh, logging roads, and that was a fire break, and then the fire moved around our vineyard. So everybody on Pachoni Road was was unscathed. You know, in terms of losing homes, you go farther out Mill Creek or even out Wallace Creek, a much different story. Uh, but yeah, we didn't pick a thing. I mean, we, we, uh, um, um, so, but I, again, when your fire is right next to the vineyard, that, that's, that, that's pretty easy to figure out. Right. I do think though, that there was some wines made from 20 that got bastardized that probably didn't need to. I, I really think a, a lot of, you know, we were, we were harder on the 20 vintage than we needed to be is a general yeah. sense. And I think you look back at it and I don't know if people would do different things. Cause also when you look at 20 though. You got to remember, what'd you say? We had 18, right? Humongous year. 19, we left fruit on the vine. And then you're going, how much inventory did people really need? So was was all of the 20 rejections because of smoke? Right. Or was some of it because of need and smoke was a rejectable yeah. thing that you could claim? So this is where, it, and we could talk for that. I get, Again, I could talk to you for hours and you guys would fall asleep but i mean there's i can tell you one guy napa cab selling seven different wineries and all seven chose a different strategy for one gave him the money back and said we love you we're going to pay you for the fruit and not take it the other one took you know the last one took him to court right so no rhyme or reason but i think the we had talked about there was some north coast cab left out 2020 and if you look read some of our reports most of that's been moved some at lower prices but i don't think uh, but I, I would say as a consumer, try the 20. If you don't like it, that's okay. Uh, but I think you're going to be happy more than disappointed, yeah, I think, yeah. in general. Well, do you think a lot of that 20 cap that, that, that moved out in the bulk market w- and got blended into 19, 21, 22? Or were they buying it to specifically put out with a vintage of 20? I mean, I think it's probably both. Uh, yeah. But I do think, Brian, that they did... You know, I think there was some 20. You can do some blending with it. You definitely, yeah. there's some things you can do. It's the, you know, the one problem with smoke exposure, smoke tainted, it can come back, you know, in, in terms of how long. Um, but, um, you know, I think there was a market at a price, right? So, and again, the other thing is only so many people actually can uh, discern smoke yeah. uh, components right. to right. it. And, and, and some of that... Uh, I mean, I've seen some people use some unique marketing strategies, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, you've seen names, but, you know, bourbon barrel and this. I mean, there's a lot of things I think, you know, people got creative, which is probably what you needed to do. And I think, yeah. So, um, but I've, I've talked to consumers actually that have come in here and said that they have called, they've called the wineries that they are wine club members of. And they were shocked that they were going to have to pay full price for their 20 wines. And they were looking for like some kind of deal. Whether the wines were smoke tainted yeah. or not, th- the perception was like, oh, you're really going to make me pay full price for these wines that are 
according to me and and who I talk to, possibly tainted in some way. And it reminds me of I think two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. What was that? We had a lot of people skip that that vintage, right? Because of concern. I think. uh, Kind of like the first time that people were talking about that kind of concern. Yeah. No, I go back. We hear. Let's go back. Ninety seven. For those ninety seven, ninety eight. Let's go back for those of us that are a little grayer. Right. Uh, I was at I was I got a couple I got, got a couple. couple but I was at Beaulieu right so the 97 was my god the year from god right it was the best vintage and and we had George de la Tour you couldn't you know I mean you couldn't it, it's gone right 98 comes right wetter year later year oh my god and I remember even at uh uh I keep looking, thinking somebody's texting me because it's live, but I, I'm I'm okay. But uh, <laughs> but we we came back and uh, you're like, we had library wines and we had all these nice employee specials. Hey, do you want to buy '97 George de la Tour? I go back 20 years later and I taste the '97 and '98. I like the '98s better. Exactly, for nice. sure. And, and we just had this conversation, right? Didn't and, we? and so I think yeah. th- again, it's. Sometimes we overthink enjoyment, right? And and, and it's like, is it a vintage year? Or so, uh, but it's still good, right? I think that's what makes wine interesting. At the same time, I think you, you know you know what you like and be okay with that. Uh, in terms, and I think it's great to have, you know, people that have review wines and have opinions, and it makes it interesting. But they're not always right. Yeah, well, it always plants a seed in people's minds, and then you hear stories of Heidi Barrett and Kenzo, and then. So then consumers get this thing in their mind about, oh, the, the wines are all shit, um, when really it's, it's not, it's not well, that we, way at but all. But then there's the, you know, how how much does the consumer remember, like, three years later, four years later? Do they actually remember what I, were the good know, years? You know, 2020 is such an easy number to remember. Right. Well, right. everything you're is right. 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 That's no, true. It's, it's, it's yeah, you're right. It, it, yeah, it's, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And it, nobody it, wants to remember 2020, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Like, you don't want to have that wine that says 2020 on it, not because there's anything <laughs> wrong with the wine, because you're like, oh, that was the year that I spent six months cooped in my... Yeah. Tiny New York apartment with my four-year-old on a trampoline, yeah. you know? Listening to a lot of we, cran bin and e- setting up a badminton court in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. This, this, per, this personal experience. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing I think that's interesting to look at, so look at you're probably our largest. Uh, uh, I'm always careful about brands, but um, we've had some large brands that have gone non-vintage, uh, right, and... Uh, California Appalachian, non-vintage. Um, and I think you would probably had some of that wine even in there. And so, I mean, I mean, yeah. see me, I guess that's public. I mean, they, they took that to a non-vintage California Appalachian, right? right. Yeah. Uh, and there's some other brands in that portfolio have kind of done some of that. And there's other wineries that are, right? Because they're saying at this price point or what we're doing, does the consumer right. care or no? Right. Uh, and so you lost some of those wines there too, uh, as I come to think. And that and that's a problem. I mean, to be honest, it's not the best thing for holding. It's probably good for consumers with cost, but like, if if you don't have to care about the vintage, and let's say we're looking at the bulk wine market, this is for that variety for all appellations, all vintages that we show, so we could break it down. So if I could sit there, you know what? I can go back and buy three vintages ago or whatever. I mean, you know, there's there's some economy, you know, to that, depending on how you put things together. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that, you know, I, I think needs talking about here is 
you know, these bulk, you know, the bulk market, the non-vintage, you know, the, you know, declassifying things, California Appalachian. These are folks who, you know, brands, companies that have a specific number that they need to supply into their, in, you know, to keep their shelf space, to keep those yep, distributor right. deals going, as opposed to, you know, the little brands that are like, well, we don't have 2020. Yeah. Try the 21, 21 Petit Sarat. It's fantastic. Uh, right. You know, just like That's... you can you can skip those things if you're not trying to, you know, fighting for those, you know, four slots on the Yeah, shelf the space has shape, value, right? right? And if you're out, that means somebody else is going to – is there – to take your spot, right? right? And I think it's exact, excellent And it's point. not like when you have your product back, you're just back in because there's right. a lot of work that goes oh. into that. Yeah, totally. Right. And I think the other thing about our business and just to, is, you know, it's changed, right? I mean, we, I, I, you know, 30 years ago is different than today. And I think we, we would sometimes say, I'd like to do it the same way I used to do it. But, you know, you, I think change is just kind of part of the future, right? Whether you like it or not. But, but it, it is interesting to see family controlled or um, brands that that really um, kind of watch that brand value and ma monitor that. And then I think you look at public companies and sometimes public public companies do more. You know, they do brand harvesting. They harvest a brand. So they buy it and I paid X dollars for it, you know, hundred million dollars for the brand. And then as it grows, you know, maybe I'm taking price down so I can take volume growth and slowly that brand value. But they've, they've got their money back out of it, right? They've got a return. And then they, they buy another brand or they bring another brand up. So you start to see this, a new name, a new brand, a new proposition. Where you see others that are a little more into the story, into the, you know, so different people do that differently. So I do think we see family-owned or or group control brands where they're a little more willing to say, I don't need to grow as fast. I need to take price up. I need to hold margin where, um, so brands are reacting differently too. Um, and then I go back to your question about what would I buy? I still, I'm a big believer in, um, finding some producers you like, yep. and then I tend to go back to them. I may not like everything they do, but I kind of like the style. So, you know, Hey, you know, I don't, let me try that with them and see, and, and usually that doesn't disappoint because I think there's a yeah. style there uh, is how I would – I mean, that doesn't answer your question, but it's it's kind of yeah, how yeah, I yeah. look at it. Uh, I, I do think there's some brand value depending on, uh, again, the producer. Right. So. And I, I agree – totally 100% agree with that, and I think that's where younger people are going to. Is, and if you can introduce them to the person that's making their wine or they have a personal connection with the people that are making the wine – and then if you can also introduce them like here to the person that's growing the grapes. And so they know who's growing the grapes, who's making the wine. That's a brand that they can get on board 100%. Um, yeah. No, and I, and because there's a personal connection there. And I still think that has value. And that's still part of the business is, but it's, a, you know, it's, it's, it's that, that DTC, that relationship, that experience. I mean, people don't forget that. No. Um, but there's only so many brands and consumers that get touched yeah. that way. And there's a whole other group that kind of yeah. buy wine differently. Than yeah. That. I know. Why is younger? I mean, according to you or according to this chart, if we see um, less people drinking wine on an average 
annual basis like what do, do you got some some bean well, so counters some in a room that are yeah, that are telling us what are they drinking white claw and truly or are they i mean that's drinking that's, spirits they're drink, uh, brown spirits you know it's yeah. kind of been a uh the that that seems to take off uh definitely the, the hard seltzer spritzers that was just growing like crazy and, and that feels to, like it's yeah no, it's, i think it's starting to, goodness. to go the other yeah. way yeah uh i mean i think there's a belief with some that eventually that consumer kind of figures out wine you know there's this kind of appreciate they go from here here oh no right. i'm gonna get wine yeah. i mean definitely you have the baby boomers that are getting older not yeah. you know I've, I've got a father-in-law that's got a beautiful burgundy and bordeaux collection but yeah. he's not buying more but and i can I go in there and steal those bottles people used yeah. to coming in yeah. and they were collectors you don't yeah. see as many of those people anymore. Right. I, I agree i think it's i think it's 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 different um also with wine now it used to be you'd lay it down i mean now it's kind of immediate gratification totally is it ready to go is eight it hours not? eight hours from purchase yeah right? it, yeah and I, so i think it's just it's something we've got to adjust to uh we talk about you know how we market how do we change marketing to that consumer um and, and it may be we've got you know I mean, you look at some of the brand names out there or look at the packaging and it's definitely not targeted at me. Yeah. But there's people that are, right. you know, uh, uh, buying that. So mm -hmm. I, I, I and I think you almost have to throw it out there. Now, the one thing we are seeing and, and some of this has been in the news, but you're seeing some wineries start to rationalize their SKUs, um, their space, you know, their, their, their brands and their offerings. So they're starting to go It's a little tougher out there. You know, I had. You know, I don't know, 10 brands. I'm probably going to sell three and I'm going to concentrate on five. You know, they're they're starting to look at, OK, where am I actually making money? Is it really worth trying this and trying that that I may not may have a loss on? So you are. And, then, and again, we kind of see that when money gets tight. And and so there's two larger wineries that both in the last two weeks have said, hey, we're, we're going to rationalize our SKUs a little bit and well, try let's to do these things well, really yeah. well. And then it's the well, I call it right. bread and butter blocking and tackling, but they're kind of yeah. going, okay, here's where we're making money. Maybe, you know, and maybe we don't want to do the Gruner Veltliner launch or whatever, right. you know, it's like, we're going right. to, the esoteric a shame. Yeah. yeah. Well, I tasted some the other day that were actually <laughs> oh, pretty well. good. So, uh, Joel Burt just drove by. Yeah. Was, uh, <laughs> well, and that's all that kind of goes with the, I think your, your explanation of brand harvesting, was so fantastic because I think about that all the time. These brands that get sold for a hundred million dollars, and then in five years, the cost of the bot you know, it's I think of the prisoner sort of like the classic example of you know, it used to be this Napa Valley $50 bottle red blend gets sold a couple times. Now it's you know, 10 times the production, half the price, California appellated wine. And then, you know, eventually, well, maybe not with the prisoner, but with these or brands with that they just become, yeah. you know, they go, uh, Carmenet was one that, you know, yeah, right. yeah, you see Carmenet go yeah. from, you know, the top of the mountain right. pinnacle of, and now you can buy, uh, it's usually Monterey Chardonnay, Carmenet uh, at like the gas station. Well, and remember, yeah. And, and, it, and you saw it go down. Cause remember then it was Lake County, right? right. It was, it was Mountain, Lake County, Monterey Chardonnay. Monterey Chardonnay at the gas station. California Chardonnay at the gas yeah. station. But how much ever they paid for that yeah. brand, no, they made the money. Yeah. And now you just kind of, and then and then eventually they let those brands go. And then they bring That's some up. That's because they're not else. family anymore. 
Well, and it's, it's just it. it's, it's an investment. Just this, yeah. this this yeah. this business, right? You Pure just simple. like shed those you shed those skews, and then it becomes and widgets. Well, right. you do get into. I mean, I, I you know you do get into this thing though with Appalachian. You get into limits. So uh, I met you know this guy a lot long a lot, lot of years ago, but we had BB uh, uh, Rutherford, right? So but we would sell Rutherford into california but it was so hard to supply then we'd sell a bb napa into other areas right just because they didn't seem to have as much discretion less competition outside of california is in but we just couldn't get more bb rutherford but you know people still wanted that growth We, we i have seen some brands that have grown and expanded their sourcing then try to relaunch some stuff above it at smaller appellations to see once they've got that distribution if they can introduce something higher price, something different, or maybe go in a large retail chain where they're going to discount a little bit, a little higher end, so you're not affecting your pricing outside. So I, I think there's some ways to be creative with that, um, but I think you have to. Yeah, it's 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 a commitment. We we had this uh, discussion with a larger winery. This is number. This is I guess 18, 19, when everybody's trying to deal with inventory. I said. Well, you could launch a new brand to get rid of that inventory. Yeah. And they go, it's not worth it because I've got to then take salespeople, marketing people, and focus on this new brand. And I'm better just jettison the inventory at a loss yeah. than I am taking focus away from what we're doing. And that was a family yeah. group, right? That was They were very committed to the, the brand value, and they mm-hmm. wanted to protect the brand value versus trying to say, okay, here's another way. They would take the – the initial it's long term so it really comes back are you in this business long term are you in it short term in term or at least or stockbrokers or stock, or stock right or are you getting a you know is your bonus based on quarterlies right um so that's it, it's just different you make different decisions yeah. right i mean it's not and it's just the world we live in it's not Scroll you know those nuts when you're right. when you're having a, a good time and and know that you know, you're going to have a, a year or two where it's not going to be like that. Yeah. And it's, and I think long-term, I think the business is still here. I think, I think there, it's going to get a little tougher as we go through this, you know, kind of adjustment. And I think the, the overall economy becomes a question, you know, that I think we're going to have to fight through a little bit. Um, but there's, you know, there's a wine business and I, I, mean, I think it's just a great business. Uh, but I do think just because, you make good wine and you have a vineyard that produces pretty good fruit doesn't mean it's easy and you're going to make it. I mean, I think <laughs> I, I hate to say it that way, but I think, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit double, double thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just be, I'm just being realistic. Uh, but that's, you know, it used to be, you go back, you know, 10, 15, oh man, I've got a vineyard. I make, you know, it, it's all take care of it. It was this, uh, you know, high tides raise all boats. Well, We've got a couple boats that are up, but there's a lot that aren't up, right? right? And, and, and how do you make sure you're one of those boats that are up uh, in terms as you go forward? So I just think it's a little more competitive than it maybe it was before. But don't get out of the wine business. But but just be smart about it. I guess. No, and it's yeah. funny having us talk about it because we're in such a bubble here in right. Northern California and wine country, not just you know, related to grapes, but socioeconomic and with all sorts of issues that when we talk about stuff like this, I, I mean, I really have no idea what's going on outside of the Bay Area. And and, and that's what's so amazing about it. it I mean, I, I know I say it all the time, but it's like 
a grain of sand at the beach is what you know Sonoma what we do individually right and um, but what these guys do and and they only do their segment of it it's massive but I think everything has everything has again if there's a consumer proposition and you have a brand and you have you know can find consumer finds value with it you know go with that it's again it's a Bruno thing if you're you know if you're if you're got something that's working right I don't necessarily blow it up right uh, but at the same time, kind of be realistic that, you know, how, how can I change? How can I adjust right. to what's going on? But, you know, I mean, Dane Sellers is a brand and there's consumers and it has value right now. Is it the biggest? No, but it still has. So it's, you're still doing something as part of that. And it all right. takes us all kind of together. Um, and you, and you but there's a, there's, a, there's a cold, hard reality to this. Is I think Bart and I were talking the other day about okay, what's your court cost? What's your label? What's your bottle? Why do you have this? I mean, and, and it is I you know it, it, you start going why did that cost go up on that? Why did the cost go up on you know you were talking about your uh, bottles and and labels and yeah. uh, but it's the same people when you start to look at labor and the vineyard and uh, you know regulatory and and fuel and. So it's it's not going to get less expensive. And we haven't even talked about, you know, there is import. So you've got other country, you know, you've got other wines coming in here that at certain price points, usually those are coming in at lower price points uh, and competing in that segment. But but I think the other thing is if you're in northern California, you need to be aware of what's going on in in Lodi and the Central Coast and every area. And probably need to know a little bit about Washington and a little bit about Oregon and a little bit about the global environment. Because, I, I mean, Washington right now, it, it, uh, just talking to a friend of mine who works for a larger winery up there, he goes, it's dead. There's not a lot of stuff going on because, oh. you know, Chateau St. Michel really is not the buyer that it once was. And right. that was such a big component. And so um, I just think it's important to be, you know, get outside your bubble every once in a while. Doesn't mean you can't make money in it, but be aware. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's some of the stuff we do too. But I, I just think you got it's a you got to be aware. Yeah. Have you ever, in, you know, in the twenty plus years you've been doing the Ciotti and then and just in general, sort of seen what I my sense of it is, um, you know, from the enterprise side in sixteen six hundred, it's really a, a very bifurcated market right now where the growth is. In the premium, I mean, you know, you said we're yeah. not planting a lot of grapes. We're planting a lot of grapes in, in Napa and building, you know, doing Napa right. vineyards. Uh, but the pressure seems more on the the bottom half. You know, maybe it doesn't half, but the, the the lower end part of the market where the grape prices are lower, bottle wine prices are lower, bottle prices are lower. That's the stuff where it seems from our end, the demand pressure is is harder there you know, the, the margins are smaller there. And as things, you know, prices go up and fuel prices, corks, bottles, uh, that those, that's where it's a harder place in the industry to be than, you know, if you're in the hundred dollar Cabernet. Right. But, market, right. And right? I would say there's not the, the, and the challenge here is this is my opinion, right? Uh, Bart said, you know, there were grains of sand. The hundred dollar Cabernet market is not that many more grains of sand. It's right. still a limited market, Right. right. And when you look at volume, that 150, 160,000, whatever ton sells at, or uh, no, it's actually, she was like 89 or 80. When you look at a cab, it's not all at 100, right? And so everything kind of has that reality 
to it. But yes, I think there's a big pressure right now on especially where we had the pantry stuffing with the um, COVID. And I think, you know, wine sales bumped up, especially in the retail. And, you know, hey, we got to make sure we have enough for that. And then that's kind of come back down. So there's an adjustment to that. But I think on the premium level, we're still seeing growth. Um, but some of that is you've got Appalachians, you're taking price up. And that's why it's premium more so than maybe because it's, you know, it's it, it, I, if I'm, I'm trying to explain it, but you've got to be mm, careful there, right? Because mm. we had this discussion internally in our group strategically, like we're like, well, so you've got premium growing, but you, you know, you've got the guys that were selling at 10 or 12 that are now at 16 or 18, right? Right on their, they didn't necessarily change the sourcing. They, they moved the right. price. So does that mean it wasn't premium before is premium now? Right. I'd have to try yeah, to, yeah, yeah. you try to have to break that down a little bit. So, but if you can do it, you're still holding margin. So what we've kind of said is nobody's immune to this. Cause the other thing is I talked to a grower in Lodi. I thought, you know, they're, they're got some really, um, they have a little production facility they kind of invested in large Lodi growers. They're making biodynamic wines, really kind of interesting stuff. At the same time, they've got this other stuff that's producing pretty good tons. And like, we're trying to look at both, you know, if the market keeps going up, we've got that. But I guess, you know, if this economy takes a, 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 a dump, then, you know, we still are efficient yeah. and have these other yeah. vineyards that will have the, the big buyers come back into the market. Right. So, you know, it's just kind of mm -hmm. interesting. But I think you're right with the bifurcation. There's this kind of you're either small or you're big and the medium guys don't tend to last long. Right. Yeah. Either have to go one or the other. Cater yeah. to that one percent and to the masses. Right. Right. <laughs> Everyone in between is. Well, or you're selling at some point. I think the other thing we've, you know, you talk about family transition. You know, it's true of all business, not just wine. But, you know, at some point. Succession. The, uh, yeah, the, I haven't watched that. but I can't yeah, watch it. It's I, too I, yeah, too real. much for me. Yeah, no, I, I, but, but I think you get to the point, you know, who wants to continue it? Who wants to, I want to do something different. Right. Um, I mean, I look at that with our thing going. I have no idea. You know, they may say, okay, dad's gone and yeah, who's let's taking sell it to over, the highest, highest bidder. <laughs> so who have you started training to make these wines? He was playing basketball in Reno. This yeah. Weekend, right? Well, I've got, there's a couple, I think we've tried to do, so we've got, I've got two boys and my sister has a boy and, uh, what, what, at least this is how I've approached it. I love being out there. I try not to force my kids because, I mean, there's so many different distractions and things you can do today, and they have their own interests. So we kind of gingerly expose them to things. So I almost had my oldest son was going to come today just to sit and listen. But um, so we've just tried to say, hey, this is why it's important to us and the meaning it has and your great-grandfather and grandfather. And, you know, to some degree, I look at art. Oh, I'm feeling the pressure just hearing this yeah. conversation. <laughs> But our, our, my deal is to, you know, they, they're going to make their own decisions, but to present to them. I mean, I, I, you're, not, you're the torchbearer, but I'm, I'm turning into the one that has all the memories now, right? right yeah. And we still do a Pachoni reunion, you know, with all my relatives, my great-grandfather every few years. We haven't done it a lot recently with COVID, but is so they kind of appreciate that. And so when I do ask them questions, they get that. And we were working on a, a new LLC agreement for the, because you got to have all this also put together. I mean, it's a business and uh, talk to the boys about what do you think and what do you value and would you sell it and 
At the same time, though, there may be a kid that goes, you know, I want to start a technology company. I don't know. But how could they take some of their money out but not right. kill what was left? Right. So because uh, at some point people are going to do different things. Yeah. But I, I think you want to try uh, uh, again. You can't force people what to do, but I think you want to expose them to things that you have value in. And, and hopefully yeah. they'll see some of that value. But yeah. uh, so at yeah, this point, you don't have an answer to that question. Who would? I don't. I don't know who'll jump in. Uh, we'll see. I think they yeah. got to go out and find themselves a little bit more. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah they're. I mean, I mean, yeah. I can ask Bart the same question. Uh, well, so. I mean, they're yeah. just right now. They're wondering. You know, basketball's over. Yeah. What am I going to yeah. do now? <laughs> right. I, I mean, they're literally. School like ends that. in two weeks, school, right? No, school ends. To, oh, today. Tomorrow. Got, tomorrow. Today. Okay. Uh, my yeah. my son stayed up till three in the morning trying to do a report and I brought him to school at eight. So we'll see. Yeah. He was looking a little, yeah. this is, yeah, it's, he's and, not going to want to go pull leaves and do some. No, I, just, I, I, think they, I think they need recovery there. Yeah. 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 And mine's texting me like, you know, I was planning on picking him up at three 30 and he's like, can you get me at two? Yeah. I'm like, no, probably not along on the podcast. Dane. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we all saw that. I don't know if you know, I worked for the Benzigers for five years too. So we all saw what, that with, what with period? the kids. Uh, the, oh, three to oh, okay eight something like that i don't know i was planning on working there six months in the, ta in the tasting room right and, and ended up working okay. there for no, I, would, I mean five i guess years. we sold everything in 03 that were 02 yeah right when we we kind of made yeah. the move with the when they sold the glen ellen part yeah yeah but the, but the kids were they were kind of encouraged to get the hell out of there for a little while and then, well i think and then, no i think there's a lot of businesses that you still see that they're like hey go out and discover and, and I think that's what I would do. I'd say, see, you know, the grass is green. Because to some degree, you could, hey, you're a little spoiled, right? You're a little like, yeah. you see one thing. Yeah. To really understand the business, yeah. you should go out and work for some. I mean, there's, I know, and I'm not sure, Benjamin, but there would be, there's requirements. I know with one winery, I, is that you had to go out and work two years someplace else. So I think that was, well, was, that that was, was what it was. Okay. Did that yeah. with Jamie and Joe. But, yeah. but I yeah. think no, they, that, that was yeah. all of them. That was their deal. They yeah. graduate college, go get a job, yeah. you know, and then you can come back after you've done. But I think that's important years. because you've got it. Cause you get a little spoiled. It's like, Oh, I see this. The other thing is, and I kind of learned this with Benziger. I mean, creativity. It's one thing to be creative. It's one thing if you have to be creative, right? right? So, you know, if you've got all the resources in the world, you know, you can do anything you want. You're like, hey, this is our limits. How do we make this work, right? That's really where, and, and I think you have other experiences they can bring back. Or they may say, no, this isn't, isn't for me. Uh, I've decided, you know, I, wanted, I want to be a musician. I want to do something else. And, uh, you know, and I think, again, I mean, life is short. You want to enjoy it and find your passions in life. And, and, and I think that's still what it's all about. I think I'm happy with the decisions I made. I was, my story is I was, uh, after I got done with Fresno, I thought about being a lawyer, right? So I applied to law school, got accepted at a couple of law schools, and it was uh, Zeke Oman who used to run, uh, oh my God, the Napa Valley Co-op. And before that, I was at Clos de Bois, and we were golfing. And I said, you know, I'm thinking about getting a graduate degree or going to law school. And he, were, he goes, Glenn, why would you want to be hated more why would you why are you looking for a reason to be disliked stay in the wine business so but i think that was a good decision at the time so yeah yeah some similarities <laughs> some, some mirroring you guys have probably heard me enough but yeah well, no, I, I mean, Glenn, we could obviously Seriously. go on for another couple we need, hours. Do we need, probably. like, an annual 
Glenn comes uh, and does a bulk wine discussion for sure. What the what the market's like I mean, and what's happening out there. I mean, we'll have to always talk about his wines because I think they right. usually charge that charge for that service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, we yeah. don't charge. No, you you go, don't have to talk about the wines. Go we can get some Petroni so we can find out what's going on in the, <laughs> right. the bulk wine market. I, well, I, this eighteen Zinfandel. I'm sorry. This is it's. 18's in great. Delicious. The seven, the, the twenty-one Petit yeah. Syrah. It needs a little my, time, but it needs I, some I time. Think, but that's but, my uh, yeah. twenty-one great vintage. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I, I was happy. So it's good. It's, like I said, uh, brave, but I, I, it's great to get your feedback on those because as Bart said, and I don't know if you're the same way, Sam and Brian, but you like, you know, you're you're so into it, right? You're like focused. I know what I did, and it's hard to appreciate it mm. because you're you're just critical of. Of too, that, you're too so, close to the wine. Yeah, oh, it, yeah. it's just uh, it, yeah. it's great to get some perspective to it. So, well, yeah. if people want to, can they buy some of this wine? So, uh, no, we don't have any for sale. No, uh, okay. you can go on. <laughs> <laughs> you, we have they a just w- bulked it all up. Yeah. <laughs> you can't buy it anymore. <laughs> I mean, because this is small production stuff. This is oh yeah, we less do we do we, we do two to three hundred yeah. cases. You yeah. can we have a a website Pachoni p u c c i o n i vineyards dot com. Uh, there's a little bit of the 18 Zen out there. Um, you know, send us an email. We'll get you on the mailing list, and we'll be re- releasing the 21 at some point. I didn't get your comment. What did you guys think of the new label? I, I, you kind of I, I loved the new kind of cleaned it up I, a little bit. We took away the horse, mule, donkey, jackass. You, you got, you got it, but we you have know, it on the back. Got it on the back, a little like you know, so, in, in uh, gold. There. We've got our Sonoma County sustainable. We could argue if that's good or bad, but. <laughs> I'm not going to go there because I don't want to get yelled at. Well, so, yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I know who I'm sitting Whole next to. Whole conversation. Uh, but, yes. Yeah, so, the reputation yeah. precedes us. Uh, it's yes. okay. I, you know, I worked with your dad, and I remember having a few arguments out in the vineyard in the late 80s, so it's all well, good. Well, you know, we're, <laughs> we're all Italian. Phil? Yeah. Arguments, or was that no. just a, a discussion at high volume, Glenn? Right. You're yeah. right. No, I probably was. I think he just yelled at me. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So We have a lot. Yeah. We have more in common than I realized. <laughs> I think he just... Because I was 23, and I think he's something like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about or doing. It was something in that no. genre. So well, it, had no, it had nothing to do with your age. He says that to anybody of any age. Well, we should uh, pick up the next show at that point. I think we set yeah. a record today, two hours and 12 minutes. What do you think? Well, you know. Well, and the only other thing not to be, but on the Ciotti thing, if you put up the website, it, again, the reports are interesting to read. I think just to, whether you call us or not, there's no pressure there, but just on what's going on. If you want to get it, it's a 30,000 foot of what's going on in the California market. It provides some reality. And as we talked about earlier, it gets you a little bit out of that. Like I'm in a small winery in Sonoma Valley. Oh, what's going on around me? So yeah. Yeah. it's yeah. good stuff. It really well, is. And I will shout out to a, a podcast listener. Glenn Larkin sent me a podcast, uh, uh, history of the rock and roll in 500 songs and he sent me the one on dark star grateful dad's you know grateful dead song i just i started listening to it it's like a three and a half hour podcast and i you know plus this guy's got this like scottish broke so uh, you know i'm like rewinding every every 30 seconds to what the fuck did he yeah, just yeah. say so i'm gonna it's gonna take me like nine hours to get through this three hour podcast you so have captions on that thing? I, I need i need a podcast with closed <laughs> captioning so i can understand what's going on uh, the other thing we'll do is uh hopefully we don't regret it but we'll put a link to the podcast on our next uh, California report. And that goes out to three, 4,000 people. 
Awesome. So yeah, uh, we'll awesome. throw that in there, and yeah. we'll Double see. Our we'll we'll we see. Go. We'll see what kind of feedback they may go. Hey, Proctor, no right, more right, business. Right, right, right. But hopefully, that's not what happens. Stop selling your own pizza, at all, Proctor. <laughs> right, exactly. We got seven hundred thousand gallons of Cabernet to get through. <laughs> what the hell are we paying you for? <laughs> All right. Well, this has been awesome. Glenn, yeah. thank you very much for coming on the show. We will definitely have you back. Definitely. Yeah. This is, this is one that's, I mean, we've, I feel like we just scratched the surface. So. Um, thank you. Shout outs. Yeah, let's do it. So Roan Rangers, uh, yeah. we're going to be pouring at uh, Klein Cellars June 24th. Uh, it's a Saturday. So please come out and see us then. Um, hopefully, we still need to work out me getting to that dinner. But um, you're going to the dinner. We'll just buy a ticket. I'm going to the dinner. I'll see yeah. you there. Uh, did we plan in our last meeting? Maybe we threw out like some more vi- old school vinyl Sunday dates. So there'll be an email and stuff about that. Uh, September seventeenth, the Grenache, Grenache, Grenache weekend. weekend. Grenache weekend. Grenache weekend. Yep. Fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth. If you're not planning on being in Sonoma. Get a Grenache. hotel room. Get a hotel room. Yeah. Get an Airbnb. Uh, according to Glenn Proctor, nobody's buying Grenache on the bulk market. It's because <laughs> I did not that's even because, know the That's because everybody's <laughs> buying it from great producers at Road Rangers <laughs> and at the Girl in the Fig. So it'll, uh, it'll it's gonna be a great weekend. <laughs> I'm in trouble. All right, everybody. Thank you very much. Drink more. Drink more Dry Creek Petisera. Petisera. Beautiful. Or Kerriganan. Kerriganan. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll look forward to talking to you next week.